This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Reds light the foot there. Tuesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 90 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. As always, I'm joined by Gavin, Jay Baxter, and Graham Steele. Gents, how is it going? Good, thank you. Very well. Very well rested. Enjoyed that little period off from the from the game, but ready and able to go for taking on the world once more, starting next week at Celtic Park. Absolutely. In a week that saw... And I hate to have to praise them, but I'm going to have to do it. The Green Brigade unveil the banner of the season at Celtic Park. Oh, that yeah, saw that's, Alan... that, that's coming through massively gritted teeth. <laughs> it is a little bit. That saw Alan McGregor get all upset when he was told not to cheat. That saw Chris Wilder take one look at his projected salary and decide, fuck that. And that saw Partick Thistle take over the Don's mantle for overambitious expectations it is another, despite the fact there's been no football this week, it's still another busy one here at ABZ FP headquarters as we are going to take a look back at the Dons announcing the appointment of Alan Burrows as our new chief executive officer. We're going to catch up with Pepe from the MFC podcast to get his view on what Burrows will bring to the Dons. We'll check in with our loanies and loan watch. We'll see how the young team and the Quines have fared this week. We're going to preview our return to SPFL Premiership action next Saturday with our visit to Celtic Park. And after the break, I'm pretty confident in saying this is a world exclusive. What do you think, boys? Yes. I think it definitely is. The latest in our line of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present, and this time it's the very first Argentine to pull on the famous red. It is, of course, Juan Manuel Cobian. But first, well, what was on paper, a quiet week at AB24 suddenly sparked into life on Wednesday morning as the news suddenly broke that Alan Burrows would be joining the club in the capacity of Chief Executive on the 27th of February. Uh, 2023, this year, obviously. <laughs> Not like 2026 or something. Uh, Burrows, of course, currently the Chief Executive Officer at Motherwell. He'd recently announced his intention to stand down from the first part club after 15 years, nine of them in that CEO role. Dave Cormack intimating in his press release that this had always been his intention to appoint a CEO, but COVID had got in the way. Okay. And famously, nobody got recruited during COVID. Yeah, absolutely. I recall nobody joined the company I worked for during COVID at all. Yeah, no, we, really we, definitely, we definitely didn't rock the boat as a club in that uh, period at all. <laughs> no, absolutely Fucking not. Fucking hell. <laughs> um, what, at what point does that become... Like you can't use that as just a sort of monopoly, get a jail free card. <laughs> I, I, would da- I would dare say when we changed the entire structure of the club. 
<laughs> it, it was as well. It was bang on right there, wasn't it? Fucking hell. Anyway, um, Burrows, of course, let's not go too heavy on this. Come on, come on. They've, they've done some decent no, this week. Oh, so, even within good news, there's so many red flags. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Burrows, of course, who started out within the communications team at Motherwell before working under Leanne Dempster um, and then going on to take on the CEO role at Motherwell once Dempster departed for Hibs. Uh, in his time at, uh, at Motherwell as CEO, certainly credited very heavily with helping Motherwell become the first club in Scotland to transition over to fan ownership. They've seen highest ever turnover, net profits, secured record transfer fees and record sponsorship deals, highest ever season ticket sales on the pitch. During his tenure, Motherwell finished third in the Premiership, played relatively regularly in the Europa League or the Europa Conference League qualifiers, reached each of the domestic cup finals, and of course Motherwell won the Scottish FA Youth Cup for the first time ever in their history back in 2016. So, gents, a bit of a surprise I think this one on Wednesday. I don't think anyone saw this one coming. Um, but your initial thoughts? I think it's it's a, it's interesting. It was a surprise for sure. Um, it's a name that's been banded around as almost an example of someone we'd like to bring in for this chief executive role if the club deemed it uh, a worthy role to have. Obviously, we've heard from the chairman. It was always the plan. Which decided to wait two years and X number of players and managers and directors both later to actually go ahead and appoint and money it. Money spent, but, yes. But uh, whatever, let's leave that to one side for a little bit. Um, you know, he's obviously a very well thought of name within the Scottish game. Has got a lot of experience in that role from from nearly ten years. So you know, on paper, should know, uh, should have a very good idea of what it's going to take to in place a kind of footballing structure that will be successful for Aberdeen so um, on the face of it assuming that he's got the kind of control authority autonomy to to run the club the way that he effectively sees fit then nothing but uh, two thumbs up for me yeah probably the same I didn't really it never actually occurred to me when I saw he'd stepped down from Motherwell I never even put two and two together and thought oh maybe, maybe he's someone we could go after or should go after so I think Billy Gav in terms of does, do we need that role? I think we we do need that role filled. So that's encouraging. He seems to be generally well thought of across the the board. You know, from executive club type pe- people to to fans to a little bit in between. You know, he's not just a for want of a better terminology. He's not just a suit. He seems to have be yeah. He seems to be well respected across the board. And it's it's really strange as soon as the club announced that. You know, you dip into the comments and it's overwhelmingly positive. I can't remember the last time there was a club communication that didn't start with insert managers here name out. So it was quite good to see general, you know, sort of positive feedback around the club. My only reservation is probably Billy Gavin that this is fine if he's going to do the true CEO role, which in my opinion should be not independent from the, the chairman, obviously, but he should have a fair bit of authority during the day-to-day operations and basically if he's just there because Cormac's ticked the box because we said why would you not put someone else in front of the media instead of yourself then you know nothing's going to change it only (laughs) works if he's actually able to like Gavin says run run the club as he he's fit and come up with his own ideas and get people to buy into that and I'm I'm kind of taking the view that that is what he will be allowed to do I'm hoping that whether we believe the timing or, or not, whatever, I'm hoping this is the realisation that there needs to be someone on the ground in Aberdeen who's capable and competent to basically run the club 
on our behalf. And this is the man. So fingers crossed it all works out for him. I think he's going to find quite quickly, if he doesn't already know that he's got his work cut out for himself. I'm convinced. I remember, not maybe in this direct statement, but being inferred later on that he said he'd quit Motherwell on account of the stress it was causing. Lack of stress must have been. It must have been, because if he thinks that coming up to Aberdeen is going to be a, a walk in the park then, oh, Alan, just wait till you find out. Yes, uh, I think he's going to find this is, I don't mean this is not like where, this isn't who's bigger than everyone. I think the current situation we're in, I appreciate Motherwell probably on the pitch are having, well, they're having pretty rancid as well, actually, but I think with everything's been rumbling probably. on here for a wee while, he's going to find this is a pretty tough shift. Something that I think the three of us on here have certainly been calling for, I think it's probably replicated across much of the support, um, is this idea about somebody coming in to be the de facto head of the table whilst Cormac continues as the absent chairman based in the States. I think that's what we are all expecting from this. Now, Gav, um, much to your chagrin, we've yet to see a revised club organogram, um, but the presumption, I think, will be that Burroughs sits underneath Cormac and pretty much the existing heads, i.e. that's uh, Kevin McIver in finance, Stephen Gunn and Rob Wicks will then all report to Burroughs. That's how you'd imagine this would go. Does this in... Well, I guess, first of all, are we all... I think we're all in agreement about it. We think, we think that's the right thing for the club to do. Yeah, I, I'm of that opinion. We've been saying that... I think from my point of view, probably had my eyes open more this season. I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't going well under Goodwin, but this season, more so than last, I feel like there are more areas of the club that need to be addressed. Those are behind the scenes and in the sort of um, executive areas. So I, I think we needed this role, obviously whether Alan Burroughs turns out to be man or not, time will tell, but I think it's a, a positive step and I'm quite enthusiastic about this actually. If he does in fact have the ability, capacity to influence change, see run the club the way that he sees fit and he's not uh, another kind of, you know, lad-handed yes man for the chairman as I think we suspect a number of the football monitoring board, for example, are right now, then yeah, absolutely. And I can't see why Alan Burroughs would be risking his reputation coming to Aberdeen, uh, putting it in the hands of another man. So that makes me think like he must have assurances that he's going to be able to run Aberdeen the way that he sees fit. And if he goes about implementing change, then yeah, absolutely. 100% what we needed. Do you think then, because obviously he, he now joins the club at a very critical juncture. We still have not appointed a manager um, as yet. Barry Robson's still an interim charge. I think a lot of us felt when Barry Robson was allowed to bring Steve Agnew in as a coach that we perhaps thought that that was an initial sign that Robson was going to be given the reins for a period of time, certainly anyway, to allow us to find the right manager, or if you believe some of the press reports this week, more time to prove himself as being the man for the job. Um, with Burroughs coming in now, though, obviously he doesn't start officially uh, at the moment until the 27th of, of February. I'm interested to know if whether you know, Stevie Hamill departing Motherwell at the weekend might hasten Burroughs' departure. It was very clear um, from the press releases that came out from Motherwell that it's that Burroughs is not going to be involved clearly in the in the, the managerial appointment for Motherwell now. Does it become a point where Motherwell kind of look at this and go, there's no point in you being here now for two more weeks. You might as well just go now and we get Burroughs in um, a little bit earlier. But based on the initial timeline, of the 27th of February. Does that also intimate to you guys that I think we are going to take a little bit more time 
over a managerial appointment now because presumably Burroughs is going to want to get in the door. He's going to want to see the setup. He's going to want to understand who he's got reporting to him. You know, you've got to think, does this put more pressure on Stephen Gunn or is Stephen Gunn going to be, is he going to be like, uh, given some more time here because Burroughs might say, well, you need to come in and you, you prove yourself to me in this role so it buys him more time. But you'd expect Burroughs is going to want to have a bit of time to get in, get his feet under the table, all that kind of stuff before we make a, a, a critical appointment as the next manager is going to be, wouldn't you think? That was a very was, long way of saying Jenkins means we're not going to see a manager for a while. I was worried about where you were going with Stevie Hamill there for a second. A swap deal. Stevie Hamill to Aberdeen. Jenkins I wouldn't, I wouldn't be endorsing that uh, that chat. Let's put, let's put that on the record. Um, you know, I, I have no idea what Motherwell are going to do as a club um, with Hamill leaving what their, what their actual plan is, if they even have a plan, was just to stop the, stop the bleeding under Hamill and then figure out what to do next. You'd be pretty fucked off as a Motherwell fan if, you know, your chief executive who's in the door, who's like committed to being there until the end of the month was just like, you know what, lads, I'm out. You're on your own. So I can't imagine. I imagine he'll stay at Motherwell until um, his release date. To me, Aberdeen, we, we should, this is what's concerning me with all the chat about Chris Wilder. And like, we should not be entertaining the idea of a manager until everything's in place above, above the manager. And that includes... See Alan Burrows, and yeah, like you say, his his review of recruitment, his review of the director of football, everything else in place. Uh, for me, we're in steady hands. We could appoint Pep Guardiola and <laughs> probably lose to Celtic. So I don't think that's the the beyond end all of um of things for Aberdeen. And then home to Livingston, I'm pretty confident that if Ryan Robson can replicate the kind of performance that we grew into against Motherwell, then we can you know come away with three points there. So yeah, um. I think I've said from early doors that I'm more than happy with Robson getting the gig until the end of the season and then seeing where we are from there. Yeah, this has probably worked out reasonably well having the week off, you know, as in clock's ticking on his his arrival and actually nothing's happening on the football front. So you're not getting you're not getting a sort of further behind in the league table. I think it would be crazy you're so close to arriving and the state we're in to appoint anyone before he arrives. So you know what we're going to do? Oh yeah, so I'm absolutely not ruling it out. Let's be clear <laughs> on that. I'm not ruling it out. But I think it would be madness. And especially, I'm just looking at the league table now. You know, we're seventh with 32 points. Dundee United bottom with 20. So there's a bit of a, or even if you look at Motherwell in 11th, Ross County, there's a bit of a buffer in terms of points before you're really in the shit. And when the season's over, I would say, you know, you're out the cups. It's going to be really, it's going to be a hell of a, charge to the end of the season if you can recover third so from that point of view it's another season gone I don't see why you wouldn't take a little bit of time get him in so he can get a feel for how the club's working who's doing what with a view to him being an integral piece of the the recruitment process for the the new manager which kind of goes back to what we've been saying since the start I'm not certain Robson's the the guy for the job there's nowhere near enough evidence to suggest that he is or he isn't but if he can keep us ticking along to the point where we are hovering around about where we are, obviously if we climb the table, that'd be brilliant. I think that just takes the heat out of the situation a little bit and just buys people time to hopefully, you know, sort of make a an informed decision and get the best candidate that we can attract rather than ah crap, Robson's lost three in the bounce and we need someone. So I'm hopeful that he gets in, he gets the chance to actually get a feel for what he needs and wants. Uh and as a part of the process. The fact that Hamble's gone, I mean, I don't know what influence you'll have at Motherwell right now. I'm just thinking anyone in that 
situation in a business, you normally just go. Yeah. You, you know, go a gardening leave. You, you basically, you don't have any say or influence because you don't need or want that. You just want your new guy in. So if he is still hanging around the Motherwell and that's a contractual date in terms of a notice period, that's fine. That's the way these things work. But I can't imagine he's actually having any influence in what they do with their new manager, for example, because why would you, why would you get a guy with two weeks left to have any involvement? As part of keeping the feel-good factor, but also just pretend he doesn't have any influence when they do hire like Paul Lambert. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what we're saying, so what we're saying, don't is, want him tainted. Yeah, don't yeah, want to point Lambert, anyone, Motherwell. Paul Lambert wouldn't, you know, take the backward step of you know leaving unemployment to go to Motherwell. That was for Aberdeen, though. Oh, okay, but he will for Motherwell. I don't know Celtic logic. You've got a better in sync with their mindset. Do I? So, uh, so, so what we're basically saying is February 26th, welcome home, Nathan Jones. 27th? No, tw- the day before. No, no, the 26th oh, the day before, is perfect. day okay. before we'll bring in Nathan Jones. <laughs> yeah. The perfect. Colossus from Bogger Road. Well, he'll probably be able to take the, the pay cut. <laughs> That's a great reference, Gav. Is that yeah, a reference me- that nobody's going to get? Is that a wrestling reference? There's very oh, few yeah. people who get that reference, I think. Um, Mark, Mark Robertson, that one was for you. Um... Yeah, what sort of contract was was Nathan Jones on at Southampton? I, I had it in my head, it was like a five-year deal or something. That's a uh, three. Three and a half. Three and a half, okay. Even then, a pretty sweet payoff for three months worth of work. Lucrative is the word you're looking for. Lucrative. So, um, yeah, we kind of spoke on it. I, I don't think I've seen, well, certainly since Jim Goodwin was sacked, uh, a Don's Twitter post that was universally applauded. Are we pretending um, that Tony Stewart to MK Don's didn't exist? <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, we've got more on that later, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I guess, in terms of the appointment of Burroughs himself, just your your general thoughts, I guess, um, on the individual, I suppose, this time around, not just the fact we've actually gone and got a CEO that's not Dave Cormack. Well, we're having, we'll have a conversation with uh, some Motherwell fans later who'll be able to tell us more about what Alan Burroughs actually has been influential in doing. But he, um, you know, Motherwell, as a club, you know, pretty famous for... The work they do certainly off the off the pitch and the, the community factor, which you know has, shouldn't lose sight that Aberdeen have done some great work in that field as well as have Hibs, Hearts. Generally speaking, I think a lot of the Scottish clubs uh, punch above their weight in that sense. You listen to what you've said earlier about what the achievements they've had and the time he's been there and chief executive um, in particular, and even then, you know they were finishing what second, third under Stuart McCall when. Um, we were battling it with Motherwell for second yeah. place back in the glory days. Um, he was obviously part of the, the setup there. Um, I think on the pitch, it would seem like they've had a bit of a some mixed fortunes um, in later years. But yeah, like I say, he he does just seem like a very highly respected individual and somebody who's going to be able to cultivate a bit more of a, a positive feeling between the, the support and the club is the way that I interpret um, his work at, at Motherwell. And yeah, if he's got the... If he's got the power, if he's got the contacts and the desire to do it, then it, it seems like, yeah, on paper, like a really good appointment. Yeah, it's like any one individual, difficult to know how much influence they've had on the good and the bad at their previous club. So when it's been going well, when it's been going bad for Motherwell, you can't really pick and choose when you decide he's had a good influence and when it's not been his, um, his efforts that have maybe appointed some crazy managers. So... I'm I'm optimistic. I think it's a step, a good step forward, and I think you're getting. You know, we were talking about 
Kent Memphis was yourself, Gary, or Gam mentioned, you know, you, you want to get a manager like on an upwards trajectory. It feels like we've yeah. got a CEO, you're a relatively young man, presumably ambitious, but, you know, career is on the up. He's putting the hard the yards. Putting that, yeah, but, you know, he's probably, I mean, let's be honest, he'd be looking at Aberdeen as a stepping stone. Yeah. And, that, and that's absolutely fine. I don't have a problem with that, but it feels like we have got someone who's potentially going somewhere. Well, at least he's got nine years' experience in this role in a in yeah. the Scottish league. So he understands the league, he knows the setup, he knows, you know, the machinations of this setup of the league, you know, the SPFL, the SFA, all that type of shit that goes with that. Um he's not a, a rookie coming in this, but you're right, it's also a step up for him. It's, well, yeah, I mean the you know, this isn't again, people have a view on who's bigger. It's not really about that. The fact is Aberdeen have greater resources than Motherwell. That's not up for debate. So And there's bigger expectation that goes with the resources. Yes. Yeah, no, that's true. But I guess the point is what he could or couldn't do with Motherwell, he might, he'll have had ideas yeah. and aspirations and it just wouldn't have been possible with the resources available to him. So he can take those forward. You know, maybe that's just the next step up is that maybe we can attract some of the, whether it's, you know, candidates, players, whatever it may be that he's wanted to do at Motherwell. So it's, you know, it's a good opportunity for him. Let's be honest, if he does well here, he'll get something bigger and better. And, you know, if he's done well, we'll have benefited as well. Absolutely. Gav? I was going to say, I wouldn't say there was complete universal um, adulation over this appointment on on the old Twitter. And some people remarking that perhaps, you know, what has he done to be worthy of this position at Aberdeen? And I would just ask on like, you know, I mean, I, I believe I remember seeing a tweet from yourself, Gary, on our page. Obviously, you were taking a break from arguing with Celtic fans or whatever. <laughs> and I think he referred to the the work that he had done at Motherwell as I believe the word was exceptional. Yeah. Now, someone might look at Motherwell's record in the last nine years and see, well, they went from second place under Stuart McCall to eleventh uh, under Ian Barraclough the next year, avoided relegation through that mad majestic playoff with Rangers, which was services uh, to football. Somebody has to stuff do it. of legend. And then you'll see, generally speaking, ninth, seventh, eighth place finishes. And right now they're on course to probably finish in the top spot in the Scottish Premiership. If someone was to suggest, <laughs> why are we, you know, wanking ourselves to sleep over the appointment of Alan Burrows, bearing in mind those facts, what would we, uh, what would we say to alleviate any fears? I think personally, the idea that one individual is responsible for all the good and the bad is a little bit crazy. It's a whole team effort. So the idea that he's done well when they were up in second, but somehow it's his fault that they finished 11th. I mean, I don't know what their setup was in terms of, does he appoint the manager? How much influence does he have? So yeah, take your point. Like anyone associated with Motherwell, when it's going well, presumably everyone's doing a good job. And when it's not going well, that probably means most people are not doing a very good job. But then you kind of, you need someone who's had experience of, you need a broad range of experience in a role. Uh, you know, it sounds silly. Sometimes maybe my career work when, when things aren't going well, that's when you're learning stuff. Because like, oh shit, how do we get into this mess? How do you not do it again? If, if you've only ever had positive experiences, I mean, slightly flippant here, but if you're Guardiola and you turn up with billions of pounds and the best players in the world, you're going to win everything. All totally above boards. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, <laughs> nothing to look at here. No. I'm begging on him. There are loads of examples of checkbook <laughs> managers. But the point is, if you've only ever had good experiences, when it does turn to shit, where do you go? You don't have anything to, to fall back on. Burroughs has obviously had 
highs and lows, and Motherwell. And theoretically, our spending power should be keeping it. Like our spending power doesn't bounce around. If you look at the the competition down at the bottom, I think it's tougher than where we are personally. There's more scope for it to go wrong. It's more competitive at the bottom of the table. So yeah. I reckon, yeah, it's, it's fair point. There's a lot to to look at and say. Well, what was what's so great about him? But you know, the flip side of that is, oh, where where else do you go? You know, we're into this. There's a whole load of opportunities or loads of candidates out there, but I think he's one of the better ones within the game. Graham, three simple words. Mark Edward McGee. <laughs> Without wanting to go all diary of a CEO on this actually year, his right? middle name? Is it Edward? Teddy. I thought his middle name was Graham. Oh, there we go. Um, that was That was wishful thinking. But without wanting to go all diary of a CEO, Graham's kind of right about this as well in the sense of... Oh, it is it, Edward McGee, fuck's sake. It is, your, it is the failings that you learn more from, you know? I think that's absolutely right. And I think that is something that hopefully we do get some benefit out of. I think as well, when I was talking about his work being exceptional, I wasn't purely focusing in on their um, on-field performances, um, which uh, I know is going to probably sound really contrary to everything we generally talk about on this podcast about how everything on the, the pitch is what matters the most and uh, absolutely that 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 clearly is the case but <clears throat> i think it's very fair to say that motherwell's motherwell's work as a football club in their community is exceptional and i don't know there's any getting away from that and i think that a lot of clubs in scotland do really really well at that as well but they're very very good at that i think motherwell's engagement with their support base has generally been very, very good in the last few years since Alan Burrow's been there. Now that might be because he is—he's a diehard Motherwell fan. You know that—that that probably helps a lot with that. You know, he—he he sees his club at Motherwell through the lenses of being a Motherwell fan, um, so that probably helps with that. But I think there's definitely potentially some, excuse me, some real upside to us from that perspective in terms of if he can engage with his support base in a much more effective manner and and get people on board because. Let's be honest, we are occasionally quite a fractious lot. Let's not try and pretend otherwise. If we could actually get everyone pulling in the same direction, there's a bit of a force to be reckoned with there, I think. You know, there's things around, you know, the red shed. Can we get on can we get Aberdeen City Council on board with maybe doing something a bit different about getting the red shed expanded out a little bit more and get more people in there, et cetera, et cetera? Can we do something there around, you know, say it's Graham, you and I spoke about this before about, you know, flares being allowed in a kind of safe and controlled manner, for example, to help generate atmosphere, blah, blah, blah. I think that there's a guy here who has track record within the Scottish game now of being able to get things done, which I think is very important. But you're right. It's it's the one spot over Burroughs' time now at Motherwell. And before we go to that, he's also been CEO for nine years. Nine years is a long time um, in that type of position. And you're not going to have all, you know, sunlit uplands and everything's not going to be milk and honey all the time in a nine-year period of time. And Graham's kind of right as well from that perspective. If you look at, well, let's go back to the, the, the big the big area where you, you, where, you, where you might look and say there's a concern is probably around history in terms of appointing managers. Um, more misses than hits in that nine-year period, it's absolutely fair to say. Um, I think it's now become clear after speaking to Pepe that I think he was very heavily involved in the majority of those appointments even though for example the stevie hamill appointment his name is nowhere near the press releases around that appointment um his, his name is nowhere near around the appoint the, the sacking of graham alexander it all comes from the chairman 
But that doesn't get away from the fact that in that nine-year period of time, more misses than hits, it's probably fair to say. And probably in, in the managerial sense, and probably also in transfers and recruitment. Um, so is that a concern? Or do you put that down to the fact that Motherwell, as a football club, their resources are much, 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 much more limited than the ones that we're playing with. And so, you know, the ponds in which they're fishing in are, are much smaller. I think they're fair. They're fair points. They're valid. I, I think if you can you sort of compare them to Aberdeen, arguably we were fortunate to have a reasonable manager in a period of stability under McGinnis. If you were to look at the rest of the league in terms of managerial appointments, I, I don't know what the sort of strike rate is for successful appointments, but a lot of clubs will have chopped and changed as Motherwell did. So there's an element of that is just the way it is these days. In terms of the transfers, you know, when we looked back at our, what was it was it totally under McInnes, that sort of time frame. Yeah. There was a lot of nonsense in there. It wasn't a very high strike rate. So I guess my point is, it's like you look at one set of facts or statistics, but without the context of what's that like in the league, mm-hmm. kind of meaningless. So yes, they've signed some dross. They've appointed some poor managers, but find me a club that hasn't. Ah, uh, but you'll, uh, you can use statistics to prove anything, Kent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but yeah, you're right there about, um, you know, just think about ter- in terms of just managers alone, you know, Aberdeen, beyond McInnes in the last odd or seven years, we've fluffed our lines quite spectacularly. So um, I think I guess we just look at it and say that, you know, I kind of hope that he's working maybe in consultation with, you know, some people that he knows within the, within the industry or whatever and, just yeah, just, you just got to hope that he, because uh, I think he's he's got to be key in getting the right people into it, the right positions at Aberdeen, and you just look at that. And it's, for me, it's a tiny bit of a red flag. I don't think it's an unfair red flag. I think it's a very fair thing. It's to a, point it's, at, a gra- it's a Graham Alexander shaped red flag. Jokes aside, though, the market we're in, who who would you? I don't mean name me names. I guess the point I'm making is the market we're in. You're just not going to get someone with an unblemished record. I'm not certain that person exists. And if they do, we can't afford them. So you, you, it doesn't matter who you get for Aberdeen, whether it's on the organogram, which Gavin loves the idea of, or on the on the pitch, they've all got some sort of flaw. That's why they're affordable to us. So you, you're not going to get someone who's just absolutely unblemished, knocked out of the park, everyone's ecstatic about, because it's just not the market we operate in. God is currently breaking out in hives at the idea that Ildo Ramadani has a flaw. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't score enough. <laughs> um, Long range shooting, fucking terrible. But, it, it, but again, you look back. I'm, I'm just kind of while we're talking about this now. I was kind of looking back at some of the kind of average salary um, statistics across the league in the last few seasons, and the last up to date one I can find is from 2021. I mean, Motherwell are ranked like eighth in the league for the average salary they're paying their players, and they're only like a grand a year more than what Ross County are paying a year and night. So it's, it's when you're at that level in the league, it's it's negligible what you're actually paying. Between 8th and 10th, it's £2,000 a year. That's assuming Motherwell have not gone down the Man City route and are not uh, covering up the actual reality yeah, of their expenses. Absolutely. You know, and when you look at that there in 20, this is 20, what did I say, 2021, you know, Aberdeen are paying their players three times as much as Motherwell are at that point there. So Cheap, when you go down cheapers. the league... It, I know when you go down the league at that level, I think it's, you know, they, realistically, Motherwell should be hovering around 8th, ninth, 10th in the league every season, based, you know, and we all know that how much salaries dictate, generally speaking, where teams 
finish. But there we go. I guess I don't think there's much else we can really talk about Burroughs here, is there? At the end of the day, it's all going to be the proof's going to be in the pudding when he walks in the door at Pitodri or Cormac Park, depending on where he's going to be headquartered. Um, on the whole, though, I think it's a relatively positive move. I think the general consensus here would be. Yeah, I would say so. We, uh, we needed someone in that role or that type of role. And yeah, like I said, he's a highly respected figure within the game. It seems like it's a good move. But as always, it's all very well for us on the outside to have our thoughts about him. But as always, we know that's not going to give you the best view about the new man. So we sat down with Pepe from the MFC podcast to get his thoughts on what Burroughs has done for Muddle and what we can expect from him at the Dons. Pepe, welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast, mate. How's it going? Uh, it's not going too great football-wise, <laughs> but other than that, uh, it's, it's fine. Yeah, we were, we were just talking there before we started recording that you know we might try and avoid talking too much about Motherwell on the pitch at this moment in time. Obviously, uh, we're, we're recording this Sunday night, fresh off of the, the Scottish Cup defeat to Wraith Rovers. Uh, Steve E. Hamill obviously leaving the, his job as well for part. But what we were kind of wanting to talk to you a bit more about was obviously the news that broke earlier this week from an Aberdeen perspective with the news that Alan Burrows is going to be becoming Aberdeen's new chief executive officer at the end of February. Now, obviously, Burrows had resigned or intimated he was going to be stepping down from his role at Motherwell a couple of weeks ago now. It was just after the transfer. Was it just before the transfer window closed, I think it was, when, it, when yeah, he announced it? Was it? Mid, mid, I think it was about mid-January, mid to, to late January. So um, one of these classic ones, we just kind of thought, it's always, you know, we've always got our perceptions on people and individuals and football clubs and all that kind of stuff from the outside looking in. But it's always good to get the kind of feel of, you know, people who who watch Motherwell, who support Motherwell, um, about about certain people and hey, who else would we talk to but yourself on this and also we spoke at the start of the season um prior to the game at Pataudry. And I guess just what's your kind of first reactions when you heard the news that A that he he a couple of weeks ago when he said he was going to step down, but now that it's kind of come around that he's he's going to be moving to the northeast. Yeah, initially when he, we got the news that he was um, stepping down, I was a bit surprised. However, I don't really know what else he could have done. Um, I mean, like you've got to remember, this is a guy that got the a job with Mallorca because he followed the, the team to, to Austria um, with Mark McGee uh, was a, for a pre-season. And uh, he captured the, the, um, the trip and video and he got offered the media job. And I, I, the difference is with Alan Burroughs to any other chief executive is that he's known personally to so many fans, including myself. I know him, he stays close to me, bumping him regularly. Um, I mean, he class him as a, as a close friend or anything, but uh, it's somebody that you're kind of familiar with. So when the news broke, I, I was pretty adamant they wouldn't go to another rival because he's clearly got. I mean, I think there's, there's a. He said, I think he's missed like two games in the last. 15 years or something like that so I mean he, he, when it comes to, to fan he is that's what he is and then I had a wee bit at the back of my mind thought well, maybe go with Leanne Dempster um, Queen's Parker building um, she's maybe got to move on um, but Aberdeen just came out out of the blue um, and I there's a wee bit of disappointment um, but as I said to you before I understand that, that Aberdeen's a big club Um I wouldn't necessarily say a better club but certainly a bigger club um, and it's a good challenge for him um, you'll certainly get 
fan engagement. He'll um, he's very active in social media, and I think it'll it'll be good for you. Um, and he, he he is quite approachable. The one thing that I will say that that's maybe a bit negative is that he maybe takes on too much. Hmm. I think that's going to be down to Mullerow because I think he'll have more support at, at Aberdeen and he won't feel as. Uh, I mean, he must do some amount of crazy hours, but overall, I was really really surprised. But it probably came at the worst time for us as well. So that's Mullerow's problem, not Aberdeen's. <laughs> exactly. I guess as you just touched on there. Um has a has a really strong reputation of of doing so much at Motherwell um in terms of developing not just Motherwell on the field but the work that Motherwell have done kind of in the community and everything certainly with the last 10 15 years in particular has been something that I think's been lauded across Scotland the amount of work that Motherwell do in the local community and it feels to me again looking from the from the outside in that Burroughs has been quite central to that but I guess for Aberdeen fans, you, you kind of touched on some of the things that we can expect, but what do you think we can expect out of Alan Burrows in this kind of role? You're right, there are going to be some more people, I think, around him to support him, who'll be feeding up into him. But just in terms of what have been, do you think, his kind of big successes at, at Motherwell? As I said, communication for me is a big thing with him. He probably, for example, this will sound like a, a, a tiny wee thing, but for me it's massive. Like, see, like in transfer deadline day, He's a chief executive. It's on Twitter giving you an update saying another one to come or or whatever. He's certainly got. You've already spoke about his reputation. I think the thing that Aberdeen are going to gain out is he's going to take his heart out of it, and he's going to be doing a lot, making a lot of decisions with his head. Mm-hmm. Now, but I mean, but that is, is like he's a he's a total Motherwell fan through and through, just the same as myself. And sometimes you make decisions on an impulse or on your feeling whereas it's going to be made on a business sense at Aberdeen and I think that's going to be the biggest difference and I think there's a lot of personal criticism directed at him here for some of the things I mean there's things that he's, he's done wrong and he's admitted that himself some of the time it's people close to him that are criticising I think that's the main thing that he's going to get it's going to be a fresh start for him he's not going to, he's not going to have that personal toxic kind of an environment where he's walking out with, in, in the street and bumping into my little fans so I think that's going to be the main thing he's organised he's 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 approachable um, and knows the game the Scottish game really well which I think a couple like yourselves have been crying out for that's the thing for me I always hear a lot of Aberdeen fans will always talk about how you know we want to see in positions like chief exec or director of football and stuff like that like you know ex-Aberdeen players or people who know the club and all that kind of stuff and I kind of often think the other way I often sometimes think actually it's in certain positions I think chief exec is absolutely one of them where it's probably better actually to bring an outsider in who doesn't quite have that same personal connection to the club for whatever reason you know so that they can view things a little bit more like you say with a you know a bit more of a hard hat on rather than just always going with what maybe the the fan hat would want you to do Um, and I think that's going to be an interesting thing that Burroughs will bring to Aberdeen because he's obviously well, you know, he is well respected and well renowned within the Scottish game now. And I think you touched on it before we started recording as well that perhaps you'd expect that he might have been looking at a job maybe somewhere within like the Scottish football setup, you know, somewhere within the SFA or maybe the SPFL or something like that. Um, one thing that I have seen a lot of Aberdeen fans is it's it's hilarious in, in the sense that when the announcement came out on I think it was Wednesday morning about um, Burroughs being appointed to Aberdeen, I think it's the first time I've seen Aberdeen Twitter. Like on the official Twitter page, there was not one negative comment about it. 
everybody was really positive about it. You know, nothing, there was nothing. And that's the first time I've ever seen that probably happen on an Aberdeen FC post, full stop. But then a couple of people start, you know, asking these questions and they're, and they're probably quite valid questions. And I'm, I'm interested, Pepe, to get your take on this one is, is around how involved Alan Burroughs has been within the kind of management recruitment at, at Motherwell in recent seasons in terms of selecting managers, because you guys have had probably, a bit like us, more misses than hits in that area, I think it's fair to say. Yep, yeah, I think Alan Burroughs has been a, a real uh, influence in the managers that we've had. Uh, certainly, uh, Steve Robinson, Mark McGee, for the second time round, um, the one that really didn't go um, with Jim Gannon, with Dean Barraclough, um, Stuart McCall, and I think that he has played a big part in that. And I think a lot of it has been down to Alan Burroughs maybe going targeted towards appointing a manager. But I think you've got to look at that differently when it's Aberdeen. Aberdeen are going to, for example, use are talking about potentially getting Chris Wilder in. Mother would never be able to speak to a manager of that calibre. But yeah, but some of the managerial appointments have been questionable. He's not solely responsible, but I think that a lot of them have been. Certainly Stevie Hamill. Um, it was a big gamble to take. Graham Alexander was definitely Alan Burroughs. There's absolutely no way. And the football over the last couple of years, really, for Ro- even Robinson's last six months, has been dreadful. Um, and we just never really seen. And that's the, the one negative taste that's in my mouth a wee bit. Is it feels as if he's jumped a wee bit when the ship, the ship is sinking. Hmm. Um, and I think that's the, the only negative that I can say. He, he's done things for me personally. Um through my charity and stuff like that and he's always there to reach out um, but is it the right time for him to move maybe not the right time for a football point of view but I think maybe Muller will need that wee bit of fresh freshness and I think what Muller will lose Aberdeen will definitely gain I don't think I can't see any negatives in it for Aberdeen um, I mean if you look across the board the majority of clubs have really poor managerial appointments what? It's um, hard to appoint good managers. That's the thing. If if you, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> you are a bit kind of. Sometimes it's your damned if you do, damned if you don't. I know that you're supposed to check McInnes, but then you look at the job that Jim Goodwin comes in and, and does, and then ironically, there's quite a lot of Mullerow fans now shouting to get Jim Goodwin into <laughs> into Fir Park. So you, you you're actually looking at well. Uh, Alan Burrows or flaws as well. He's, he's commonly known yeah. in the in the in the the stands at Firth Park. Um, going there and, and and we get Jim Jim Goodwin. I think if you'd said that at the start of the season in a podcast, I think I'd have laughed your uh, your way out of it. Um, but listen, it's it's a big step up for him. It's, it's, there's no familiar territory for for him being there. It's a completely fresh start. He's worked his way through the ranks at Motherwell. Motherwell as a club will probably work a lot differently for Aberdeen. I don't think it's it's like a... Uh, I, I still think that he's got a lot to learn. Certainly a bigger club, a lot more expectation. Um, but I think he's got... He's learned so much and made made mistakes at Motherwell that it will say... Un, I see, unfortunately, um, it's, it's going to benefit yourselves mm-hmm. um, and certainly as, as, as fans he's very like yourself for the, for podcasts and stuff like that and he's quite open um, that's going to be the biggest thing for for, for, for a club like yourself he, he's, he's definitely a modern type chief executive which I think is a great thing um, 
and I, I'll be honest and say that I'll miss him being there. I think that he was great for Mullerow. Um, but what else could he do? And there was starting to there was a lot of Mullerow fans starting to turn a bit when things weren't going right. Is he the right man for it? For all these positives, I mean, he, he, I've sat and said that the one thing I will say though, it's all right coming out and giving you an update and, and transfer deadline day. But look at the position that we're in just now. We are last two managerial appointments. We've had the worst result in Mullerow's history um, when we get beat with, with uh, the Irish Giants, the Sligo Rovers, and then where we are at the moment, and that's down to uh, Alan Burrow's appointment and recruitment process. So there is a lot of positives, but still has some question marks as well. And I guess that brings you to the net, to my final question, I guess, because you just said as well, you're so happy that, you know, um, you obviously kind of know him on a personal level as well. It's just, you know, looking at it through the kind of, the, the prism of of being chief executive mother how do you think just as an individual how do you think he'll take to the role at Aberdeen because Aberdeen's a, it's a proper goldfish bowl of a club you know like it's a one city club everything that happens in Aberdeen about the club everybody knows about it it's, it's such a massive focus for so many people's lives up here and I'm not saying it's not like that in Motherwell, but I think that the focus is just really different and I think a lot of people struggle with that I think Jim Goodwin has struggled with that since he came up to Aberdeen I think just that that real intensity that I'm not entirely sure that you don't get probably outside you know the the, the two um, teams from Glasgow you know that how do you think he'll find that just that, that 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 pressure I guess and that continual focus all the time I think that I think he'll cope with that fine because I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating when I'm going down to uh, Fair Parton and there's 20 buses going uh, to Glasgow buys and we, we have got, we're, we're in direct competition we're about 15 miles for either old firm mm-hmm. um, team. Now, the one thing that I will say is though that, that I believe that Alan Burroughs is getting out of that goldfish bowl because He's living and breathing. He knows fans. I mean, he's probably got his next door neighbour that's a Motherwell fan. That's what I mean. I think he he will enjoy the fact that, I mean, he's got family members that work in the club. He's got friends that are season ticket holders. He knows the player. I mean, he's going to know the players and whatnot anyway. Yeah. But I think that as a chief executive, you just need to remove yourself from, from that. If he's not for the local area, he's obviously going to need to move up there with his family and stuff like that. I think that I don't think that'll be a problem for him because he's lived in it. He's lived and breathed it at, mm-hmm. at Motherwell. There's nowhere that he can go here. Motherwell's a far smaller place than Aberdeen. So he can, he can go to his local Asda and no bump into <laughs> yeah, the Motherwell yeah. fans and although it'll be 100 old for him. But I get that, that what you're saying about Aberdeen, but I think he's lived that yeah, so far. It's a and, different way, isn't it? But it's that intensity is what he's having to deal with at Motherwell every day, like you say. Yeah, and, and I think as well the fact that when things are going wrong, I mean, I'm not any kind of close circle of friends or anything like that. I don't mean that at all, but it's close circle of friends all of the Motherwell fans. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, see, getting away from that and just having the kind of a, the, the normal, uh, a normal job almost, I think that he'll be able to switch off. He'll be able to go home at night and and be... I, I don't mean he's going to try any harder when he was at Motherwell. It's just that... I think it's going to be a different type for him. I think it'll suit him better. Excellent, mate. Listen, Pepe, I'll let you go. It's a Sunday night. Um, we've dragged you out to have to talk about this when, um, well, we could oh. have talked about stuff on the pitch, so I don't know which one's worse, to be honest with you, just now, mate. Um, but, listen, we're in no position to talk about getting beaten in the Scottish Cup this season, so I'm not going to rub any salt in those particular wounds. Don't worry about that. 
Where do you think you guys go now? Who who are you fancying for the who are you fancying for the manager's job? Uh, it's ironic that Jim Goodwin is is certainly up there. Um, some of the names, you know, you you know yourself. Some of the names that you see, you're like, oh my god. <laughs> I don't. I, I really hope it's not Stuart Kettlewell. Um, that's who's obviously taking interim uh, charge. He was our reserve team manager. Personally, I can't see it being anybody other than Jim Goodwin or Jack Ross. Um, I think they need to get somebody that's got Premier League experience. It needs to be somebody strong, but uh, we'll just need to wait and see. I, I, I know that you'll probably laugh at me, right? But I probably would pick Jim Goodman just because he's done all right at St Mirren. He's done all right at Alawa. He knows the league. I actually wouldn't laugh about that, to be honest, because I think my brother Gavin and I, we spoke about this, I think, last week about Goodwin, that I suspected he would, he would bounce back quite quickly and get another job in Scotland relatively quickly. I don't think I don't think the last twelve months will have tarnished his reputation that badly amongst a number of chairmen across Scotland. I don't think it would have done that. You know, it didn't end very well, obviously, but I think a lot of people would probably look at it and go, fucking hell, Aberdeen were a shit show anyway in terms of what was going off the going on off the pitch. So they'll give him that benefit of the doubt. And I actually think we were we were kind of joking about it, but it reminds me a little bit of when um, we talked about Merlin on, actually, ironically, Derek McInnes came back from Bristol City. You know, he'd had a horrendous time at Bristol City and he was kind of then in last chance saloon, I think, you know, um, form for a managerial career when he arrived at Aberdeen. And I think he had a point to prove at that point. And I actually think that Goodwin could very well kind of take the same sort of tactic and I imagine he's learned an awful lot in his 12 months at Aberdeen and I could see him absolutely ending up somewhere with um, someone else yeah, in the Scottish Premier League and probably doing a quite a good job I think you know I, I would take him just now if, if that would be my, my choice some of the other names like Neil Lennon and stuff like that oh. you, you know the, you know the, the, the stuff that's attached to, to Neil Lennon I just don't want that associated with the club but the one thing that's just popped in my mind I mean recent in recent history the the kind of managerial moves between oh, Motherwell to Aberdeen exactly haven't worked out too well. So, no. I mean, Mr. McGee and, and Craig Brown, I suppose, wasn't he our own success? So, um, I hope this one works out a bit better for you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It can't be any worse than McGee, that's for, that's for sure. Um, uh, I mean, even now, even yesterday when you were waiting on the, the news, so still folk posting the if I do all of them at, at Petodre, get this man back in when he's in the stand to check, pulling the, the, the phone out of the, the hand of the supporter almost. But I, I think um, we might have done that as well, to be honest with you. He's, he's just, you know, he's the gift that keeps on giving, isn't he? Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Goodwin ended up at Fir Park. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he actually did a pretty good job um, for you. You know, I, 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 I can see that working out. But about yourself, so would you be happy with... Uh, there seems to be big on Barry Robson just now I think you just need to look at what's happened with ourselves sometimes promoting from within doesn't work it doesn't actually work that often um, when you look at it I mean I, I think I posted it yesterday after your result or after Hamill got sacked yesterday and we've been saying it since Goodwin went that I think what we needed to do was to give Barry the job for a period of time more to buy us time to find the right manager right now Um. I don't think a result last week against yourselves, and we spoke about this before we started recording, and I'm desperately trying not to be patronising, but Motherwell were by far the worst team I've seen this season at Petodre, and I'm used to watching bad teams um, over the last two seasons. I haven't watched that. You should Aberdeen try watching years. that every week, honestly. Um, week. And I had Kilmarnock, Kilmarnock had been 
up until last week, the worst team I'd seen us play this season. Um, you guys took the mantle last week. But I saw a lot of people like going, oh, maybe Barry, maybe Barry might be the man. And I'm like, one win doesn't mean you give this guy the job. And I said it yesterday that Stevie Ham was a great example of, you know, getting a couple of decent results out of an interim manager isn't necessarily the reason to to give that guy the, the full-time gig. And you see it all over the place. I mean, look at like Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth. I don't even think he did particularly well in his interim spell, but has ended up with a full-time job, sinking like a stone. I don't think it's the right move. I think what we need to do is what I said. It's going to be interesting now to see what happens in terms of timelines because obviously Alan Burrows isn't coming into Aberdeen until the 27th of Feb, I think it is. So that's still two weeks away. I would presume that we will hang fire with appointing a manager until he's in the door because um, presumably he'll want to have a say on that. I can't imagine he'd want to appear and, you know, we've, we've appointed a manager. So that probably means that Barry Robson is in charge for the foreseeable future. Um, and then we we wait and see. But I mean, like, I'm the same as you. It's, it's that classic. You want your manager gone and then he goes and then the next day you see the bookies list and you're like, fucking hell. Like, <laughs> See, the, the one thing I will say though is that this is obviously happened at the worst time with Alan Burrows and I think a lot of the fans just think, you know what, he's better just going just now. Yeah. I know we've not got a chief executive, but we just need to get that sorted and the chairman did make it pretty clear yesterday that he won't be involved in this process because at the end of the day, it's he can't he he can he be. because he's loyal. He's our, 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 he's with his new employers. He can take, it's like, any, it's like anything, uh, a player can be a fan for a, for a club and then signs for a, for your direct opposition. It doesn't matter where, you're, where your hat is, it's providing for your family. So I think we would be, I would be quite happy if he just started to using Monday. Yeah, because what what benefit is it to us? It's, there's absolutely nothing, I and mean, I've got no idea who. I mean, where do you go and show up for a for a chief executive? Yeah, you know yeah what I mean? exactly, it isn't, it? and that's going to be interesting now. But I don't know. I, I wonder as well, like you say, with the hastening of Stevie Hamill's departure, if that might mean that they actually just go. You know what? There's literally no point in you being here now because you can't. Eat. The biggest thing Muddle will need to do right now is get on with appointing a manager. You know, see the problem that I said earlier though is that I know. Some of the stuff that he does do, for example, um, he's very, very good with it, you know, uh, the, our social media was a big influence by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and when two of our, our, our um, social media, the media team moved down to West Ham, Alan Burroughs was doing that himself, as well as being a chief executive. Yeah. So that's what I mean. You're getting you're getting a guy that completely knows the ins and outs of everything. He will be a big loss, but I think it's time to... Uh, I would rather it just started by using Monday and that's it. Listen, mate, appreciate your time again, Pepe, this evening. No um, problem. Listen, all the very best for the rest of the season for yourself and for Motherwell. Um, like I say, maybe it might be Jim Goodwin who uh, comes in to save the day. Maybe Motherwell will get the, the, the good end of the stick in terms of the managerial merry-go-round that seems to happen between our two clubs. But listen, mate, a privilege again to get to talk to you. All the very best. Catch you later on. Cheers, thanks. So there we go then. That's Alan Burrows done. Did you think we'd be spending 30 minutes talking about Alan Burrows when we started this podcast this season, boys? Nope. Negative. No, me neither. Will we move on? Let's. Yes. Excellent. So what other news from Cormac Park this week? Little to report other than the confirmation of various events now to surround the 40th anniversary weekend of the European Cup Winners' Cup win. Most of this, I think, was pretty well known beforehand but good to see some proper recognition from Aberdeen City Council this time with the team being 
granting freedom of the city status. Let's be honest, that's been a long time coming, that one. Team being granted with yes. the exception of Teddy McGee. <laughs> On to Lone Watch. Abso- absolutely no danger he's coming for that, is there? Of course he's not going to come to it. Well, will he? He might. Depends if there's a payment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess as manager of the football club, he'll be expected to turn up to it, wouldn't he? <laughs> Don't even. <laughs> As manager of the football club, he's expected of a lot of things. Like, not have the heating on. Anyway, on to Lone Watch. Conor McLennan, no game this week for St. Johnston as it was Scottish Cup weekend. Who'd have thought about getting knocked out early in the Scottish Cup? Not us. Anyway, Kieran Nguyenia came off the bench for the final minute as Wraith Rover secured a 3-1 win over Motherwell in the Scottish Cup at Starks Park. Jack Milne, no game for him or for Kelty Hearts. At the weekend, Aaron Reid, Evan Towler, neither of them featuring in the matchday squad as Elgin went very, very, very close to an upset at Somerset Park before eventually going down 4-1 after extra time at Air United in the Scottish Cup. I'm presuming neither of them were allowed to play by us is what's happened there in case we suddenly were, I don't know, reinserted into the Scottish Cup for some bizarre reason. I don't understand what's going on there. Anthony Stewart at... Milton Keenstons, a freak injury in training means that Stuart's likely now to be out for up to eight weeks. I think if we were all betting men, um, look out for his loan to be cancelled in the short term and Stuart will be making a quicker than expected return to Cormac Park. Not that that's going to be awkward for anybody. What? Do we know what happened there? That's just what I was going to ask. No idea. I thought I'd heard it was like a hamstring tear or something like that. (laughs) I don't know. But no, like, the article that... I read said freak injury. I mean, I guess you could tear your hamstring. I don't know what you'd be doing to make that. It's not one of those classic injury. Aberdeen injuries like he's dropped like some furniture on his foot or something, is it? It's probably like... Was it, was it Langfield scalded his foot or something on the bus? With a, a boiling like water? Coffee yeah. or something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was him, yeah. yeah. But then, what was it? Canizares busted his... Was it tendons in his feet? Dropped an aftershave bottle and missed the World Cup? That's right. But I guess yeah. If it's good enough for him, then it's good I enough did, for him. I do not like slice like his, his vein or something like that. Something like I... mangled his foot by dropping yeah. a. Yeah. No one, no one will ever top Kirk Broadford. I reckon <laughs> Anthony Stewart has like ran and tripped up, and you know those like art, you know those fake men they use for walls and stuff. Yeah. I reckon he's just like plowed his head straight into one of them, and he's out with concussion for eight weeks. Nasty head, nasty headshot. If there's one thing Stewart was good for, it was going in with the head so I don't think that would be it well who knows oh well anyway um, contrary to you I think yeah he's out for that time but I don't think we'll see him at Pataudry or in Aberdeen anytime soon uh, no I don't think so um, anyway let's move on Dean Campbell no place again for him in the match they score Stevenage were beaten 3-2 by Bradford City in League 2 down south did you know that Mark Hughes is manager of Bradford City I was actually about to ask is he still manager he still Bradford is City? yeah I did not know that that is oh. incredible scenes um, where are we now? Vicente Bajowin came off the bench for the final 20 minutes as Excelsior Rotterdam were thumped by five goals to nil by AZ Alkmaar <laughs> in the Eredivisie. And it was 5-0 after 38 minutes in that one. So, uh, so they kept a solid rear guard for that second half. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Take the positives out of that if you can. Drew the second half. Mm. So, it's, so what you're saying is it's going well for Vicente over there. Uh, not so much. Did I also read that Robson said he didn't have anything to do with that deal. He said that it was already basically signed, sealed, and delivered. Aye, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Which goes, which goes back to the thing I think we'd been told previously. That doesn't. That, that was a good win decision. 
Uh, yeah, I think we maybe mentioned it was maybe just too far down the line contractually whether Robson would have wanted to keep a hold of him or not. So I, that one's still a that's the one that uh, is a bit of a pity in my eyes that he's not here. Indeed, indeed. Anyway, um, on to the young team with Barry Robson and Scott Anderson still in charge of the first team. Stuart Duff and Robbie Headham and still in charge of the young team for their trip to Hamilton on Thursday evening. One change from last time out saw suspended Dylan Lobbin. Again, can somebody out there please tell us what it was that Dylan Lobbin said to the referee to get sent off for a straight red card? I did see somebody coming back and responding that we were right that these young lads needed to have their mouths washed out with fucking soap, filthy fuckers. <laughs> but if somebody could tell us what they said to get straight red, I'd be I'd love to hear it. Lewis Perry in for his second start for the young team and it didn't take Perry long to make his mark. 12 minutes on the clock, finding the Dons in front of the young team's 50th goal of the season to date. Well done, you well done lads. Well done. Golf applause. Maybe they played fives on Nelson Street with the big white goals. <laughs> um, it didn't always help me on Thursday. <laughs> no. They're not tall enough. <laughs> Alfie Babbage making it 2 on 35 minutes as he tapped home from Finlay Marshall's square ball before Babbage turned provider, setting up Perry for his second, the Dons third of the evening on 38 minutes. Only only three and 38 minutes. Not quite AZ Alkmaar in their five on 38 minutes, but there we go. In the second half, the Dons continuing where they left off and within minutes of the, the second half restart, Perry had his hat-trick racing onto a long ball and lashing home before Babbage got his second on 80 minutes. A convincing 5-0 win away from home for the young team here. Next up, the visit of Celtic to Cormac Park on Friday afternoon. And for the women's team, an extremely young Quines side exiting the Scottish Cup at the hands of Glasgow City on Sunday afternoon. Nadine Hansen, Donna Patterson and Bailey Hutchinson all missing out through injury and illness, meaning starts for Madsen Finney, who literally had just stepped off a plane returning from Scotland under 17 duty. Hannah Stewart and Chloe Gover also coming back into the side. And the nine-time winners got off to the perfect start as Chinchilla arrived at the back post to knock home the opener after just five minutes. I can see Graham's having a good old chuckle about that name. It's an is it Priscilla Chinchilla? Priscilla Chinchilla. It's an incredible name, it and is. also she always fucking scores more than one against Aberdeen. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great name. I, I would go as far as to suggest the best name in Scottish football. I think that's hard to argue against. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Anyway, despite three of the four, Gavin's looking at the ceiling, desperate trying to think of a better name. We can see him now. You'll you'll be looking at the ceiling for a long, long time. Yeah. Cannot do it. Anyway, despite three of the four Aberdeen defenders being teenagers, they more than held their own as they managed to hold off the home side pretty comfortably to allow the sides to go in at halftime with just a single goal separating them. However, the Dons' resistance didn't last long. Fulton with a strike from 25 yards, low into the bottom corner just a couple of minutes into the second half before she grabbed her second and City's third on 65 minutes before Porter made it four with her first touch on her debut after coming off the bench. Martin making it five with 12 minutes remaining. And that's how it ended the Dons run in this season's Scottish Cup, ending at the fifth round stage, a good round further than the men's side managed to make it. But any hopes of a Scottish Cup double at Pataudry this season extinguished this afternoon. Next up, it is Glasgow City once again, the visitors to the Balmoral in two weeks' time on league duty. So there we go, off Celtic Park, the Dons travel for the second time this season. On Saturday, first time, of course, that opening day defeat, a 2-0 win for the home side on that one. Memories 
fresh in the mind of our last meeting, the 1-0 defeat at home as the league recommenced after the World Cup break. Perhaps, is it fair to say now, with the benefit of hindsight and 2020 vision, that might have been the beginning of the end for Goodwin, that one? Um, the beginning of the end for me kicked off a good period before that. More than one person has said to me, sort of colleagues and stuff, that that, like, that was the point where they're just like, this guy just doesn't get it. As in, you just, even though you maybe realistically you're not going to compete with them over a season, you, you just don't set up like that at home. There's more than one person that said that was the moment where they sort of tapped out and said, I'll just go back when he's gone. More than one person said to me, that's a game we played really well. Who was that? Gary Scott. I never said that. Uh, I don't know. Just cas- casual onlookers who probably didn't actually watch any of the game. Okay, fine. I was wait, uh, Jesus Christ, I was waiting to be like, come on. I say a lot of mad shit, but I didn't say that. <laughs> anyway, so Saturday, we'll see scales out because of the Adam Montgomery rule. Um, we'll also be without Ross McCrory through suspension. So suddenly, even though we signed a couple of defenders in January, we're still looking maybe a little bit light at the back for this one. Celtic, of course, are are cruising towards the title. They're unbeaten domestically at uh, since their 2-0 defeat, sorry, at St. Mirren in September. No defeats at Celtic Park domestically since January 2021, which was also St. Mirren under a certain James Michael Goodwin. Um, in terms of the data, how do you think he handled going home that evening to explain to his son that daddy just pumped Celtic? How do you think that went down? We can say these things now because we don't need to pretend it wasn't a problem. On a serious note, does anyone actually care that he supports Celtic and goes to see them? Yes. Oh, well, I mean, not me, but yes, there are a lot of people that do care. <laughs> Lots of people seem to be bothered. I'm not that bothered by it. Like, it's what it is. Like, if his, if his boy's a Celtic fan, like, fuck it, it's what it is. Yeah, it doesn't really put me up, put me up or down, to be perfectly honest. Anyway, <laughs> as long as he was doing the best he possibly could for Aberdeen, which he wasn't. So never mind, let's move on. Um, what, so uh, you're saying he wasn't doing the best... So he wasn't trying as hard as he could. Yeah. No, 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 no. I never said he wasn't trying. I just said he wasn't doing his best he could because, you know, the results showed he wasn't. So I'm sure he was so doing what? as best as he could. Yeah. Well, was he? Just that it wasn't What was enough. he? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Was he doing his best he could? What are you trying to suggest? Uh, so a 1-0 defeat at Darvel was doing the best he could. Just because he's a... He might not be a very good manager. That doesn't mean he's not doing the best he could. <laughs> well, there we go. Yes, I'm saying he wasn't doing the best he could because he's a massive Celtic fan. If you've got some kind of Watergate-type leaked information that he went into the Darvel <laughs> dressing room and said to the guys, listen, fuck this. 1-0 defeat. <laughs> Maybe a lot of people got very rich that evening. For the boys in the jungle. <laughs> Big jungle, Jim. Anyway, um, where were we? In terms of data, Celtic are topping... Can we just skip over all the data with Celtic? We just like say they're the best team in the league and leave it there. Yeah. I think it's important though. I actually do think it's important to put some stuff in context because I can still see people like <laughs> expecting Barry Robson to produce like three points on Saturday. Um, it, it, let's just let's just look at the task that is in front of us. Get, and let, let's not also forget one win against Motherwell does not a summer make. I think is the best way to put this. So Celtic top scorers in the league: seventy-eight goals in their twenty-five games to date. Best defence in the league, 18 goals conceded in their 25 games. Average possession, 71.7%. Shots on target per match, 7.2. Big chances created across the league, 64. Top scorer is Kyogo, who is also the top scorer in the league. The top assister is Matt O'Reilly with 10. Jota on 8. Of their 78 goals, 57 of them have come from open play. Massively, massively overperforming 
their expected goals from open play of 48. Yes, Gavin? What constitutes a big chance? Because that seems very low for Celtic. Big chance. Don't know. Can't remember off the top of my head. Something that Graham is scoring on a Thursday night. No, that has to be That's unmissable. What I mean. Yeah, it's like, you know. Unmissable. Uh, unmissable. Un- unbookable Jason Holt. Unmissable Graham Steele. I wasn't on peak form in front of goals after a couple of months. It's out, all right. You did a few weeks off. I did some actual running around, unlike uh, uh, who am I thinking of? One of my ev- co-hosts. Everyone in a non-bib jersey? Well, yes, but one in particular. Yeah, Gaze was shocking, wasn't he? <laughs> Although, it was pretty funny when he got wiped out by Paul. Very funny, in fairness. Yes. But your yes. team were a bunch of hatchet men, to be fair. That is true. That's very true. Just in my own image. That's just the way I coach them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get this back on track so those people will be complaining that we're having too much in-joke time about our random five-size games. They should be complaining about how much wrestling nonsense goes on. <laughs> oh, there's way more of that to come. Interestingly, actually, the highest number of set play goals in the league, 15 from a set play expected goals of just 9.32. Of course, coming up against an Aberdeen side who have, and this will shock you, the worst set play goals against in the league, 12 conceded against an expected goals against from set plays of 8.78. Who says the numbers don't lie? Hmm. Not not me, nor Scott Steiner. Looks like a key battleground already, doesn't it, at set plays when you see those types of numbers? That's what you've narrowed it down to. No, not, not just that, but that is going to clearly be... Yeah, yeah, just con- concede territory, but whatever you do, don't give away a fucking free kick. <laughs> I, will, I will be just fine. Uh, uh, you wouldn't actually probably... I mean, the amount of goals they score, I, I probably wouldn't have thought... I was surprised by that, that pieces would play a major part in that, actually. Yeah. So, you know, which again is not good news, because not only can they score a lot of goals through open play... They're also pretty handy at set pieces, so they've kind of got everything from an attacking point of view. I mean, I guess our obviously our goals conceded in the set play piece. It, it's difficult to know what we're going to be like going forward. I mean, setting aside the Celtic game when you don't have scales, who presumably would play normally. Hopefully, McCrory is not in defence anymore. It's it's not quite the same defence they faced in the past, but I know what you mean the. Our record's not great. It's unlikely to change overnight, is it? At what point does a set piece become open play? Because like Celtic don't really like if they get a corner, they don't just like put it in the box. They tend to do the sort of short stuff. So at what point does that then become open play again? I don't know, Graham. Go and uh, Gavin, go and speak to fucking Opta. I don't know. Here's the data, man. Yeah. I just I just pull the data and <laughs> analyze. I don't know what fucking when it stops being a set play now. Attacking us with numbers and control zones and Acronyms doesn't know what he's doing. Good thing is Jay Jay Gorter's gonna have a lot of the ball on um on Saturday. I can see that. Yeah, so that means we dominate our box. Yeah, yeah. So the only bit of this pitch Celtic don't dominate is the opposition box. Yes. Bear in mind, so, this is based about the amount of time you're in possession of the ball in it. Yeah, yeah. So, so we just pass it around our box. They won't be there. I think they'll be there. Um, <laughs> I think they'll be there. Oh. Yeah, I hope we might have crashed it here. This is not a five situation where they can't come into the penalty area. Well, although some people seem to struggle with that, never mind. It's going to be difficult, isn't it? It's going to be difficult when you look at everything. I mean, even whether they were coming up to Pataudry, you'd like to think you'd give them more of a game. It's going to be really tough just with uh, the number of goals they're scoring, like you say, set pieces are 
they're stronger just, than I thought they would be. Their defense is solid. Let's just depress ourselves for it. I actually don't think the defense is that solid. I think the problem is you can't statistically really... their defense is solid. Statistically, but I think it's because you just don't get the ball because yeah, seventy-one point seven percent possession says it's you know you're not you're not touching the ball very much. Um, when they're holding up, when they've got when they're in possession, they hold the ball into longer than anyone else in the league. They've got the greatest number of ten plus pass sequences in the league, four hundred forty-five in the season to date. Now, normally when we talk about this number, it's like in the it's like in the double digits if you're lucky for some of the teams we talk about. Four hundred forty-five. That's nearly a hundred more than their closest rivals on this metric, who are the other team from Glasgow. Um, in terms of territories, we just spoke about. We'll throw the, good, the zones of control graphic up when we release the show. Um, let's just fair to say they dominate most of the pitch and in terms of when they're out of possession which isn't that often but when they are and I guess this probably isn't unexpected they've got a PPDA of 8.3 which is the lowest in the league which means they're the most pressing team in the league so even when you do get the ball you're not getting much time on the ball and when they turn the ball over they're clinical and getting goals from it they've had nine goal ending high turnovers this season to date that's the highest in the league by a huge distance Seth, Goose, and Johnson, and Livia are the closest rivals in this with three apiece. So they're three times ahead of everyone else in this. So, long and short, hell of a task incoming on Saturday. I mean, that PPD is that's built up of an average because at Pataudry, that must have been zero because we never made a pass when we were in possession. Exactly. It's, um, and let's just not forget again, like 70 points out of 75, they've lost one and drawn one all season Correct. in the league. Yeah. Um, it's by far and away the toughest test in the in the in the fixture list um and we could go with a full strength of team and play as well as we possibly can and still come away with nothing it'll be interesting given the limitations defensively um what we do if we stick with this kind of back three that robson's brought in if we do that i'd imagine we have to bring a mckenzie into the team and play him at left center back he's had a lot of time on the training ground to work with a back four if that's what we decide to go with um Either way, just, yeah, massive, massive test. You go in with hope because sometimes hope's all you have, uh, but I can't say I'm feeling much in the way of confidence or optimism that we're going to do something that, well, like you said, no one's done since January 2021. Yeah, it's going to be really, really difficult. And you know, unless you take an absolute hiding, it doesn't really influence my view of Robson and Agnew, for example, because everyone goes there and loses pretty much, so... You know, if you ship three or four, that's not a great look, but I can't see us getting anything out of it. And like I said, it doesn't really change my opinion of the current interim management team based on, on that result. If you want my prediction on how the game will play out, simply go back and listen to Jack Amakis's <laughs> signing press conference with our American cousins. Did you have much to me thoughts about that? No. No. It's going to be interesting when he gets loaned back to us, isn't it? <laughs> I just saw he was moaning. I haven't listened to him. Was he moaning about people being defensive? Uh, there are two Pretty teams much. that try and play, yeah. and then there's 10 who will have 11 behind the ball. Words to that effect. I don't really get this whole, like this, you got to play the right way. You play the way you think you can get a result. And if that means not giving you the freedom of the pitch to score a hat-trick, then tough shit. You play for the team with the biggest budget in the league. The, well, them and the other one, Mob, are probably biggest budgets the point being they are light years ahead of what anyone else can put out on the pitch i don't know what he expects i have no time for people bitching and moaning about stuff like that football's however you want to play it there's not a right or a wrong way 
I don't really mind what he said as such, because I imagine in some way that's probably what he feels, and that's so be it. It's more the Rangers Celtic fans that come along and say, yeah, they should all do this, and they should all do that. And it's like, no, there's budgets that are at play here. And if if a lack of competition is what is holding you guys back, then work with us to bring up the level below you, rather than do everything you can to stifle any even hint of competition. He was also trying to draw some sort of weird equivalence between the SPFL and the MLS because he was banging on about how the MLS is more even and I think there's more teams there who are more likely to come out and play, etc. It's like, well, yeah, okay, then here's an idea. Because I saw a lot of Celtic fans jumping about the, the Jack Maca stuff. And I was like, okay, well, if, if you're now willing to engage in a good faith debate around salary caps and equal distribution of centralised TV revenues, etc., which is what the MLS has... And, you know, try to make the game much more level pegging across across the league so that you don't end up in monopoly slash duopoly situations because ultimately that's what all American sports aim to try and do. Then cool, I'm happy with that conversation. Um, let's bring that on. But then, of course, it doesn't turn into that conversation because then it becomes, a oh, you just need to do more with the resources you have. Yeah, it's such a dumb argument. Like, it's easy to... Like we've You see it across any... Well, any sport actually where there's trading of players basically it's if it was easy to get the right ones everyone would be you know <laughs> exactly. i don't know i don't even know how to get the words out it's, a fuck, it's just such a stupid argument because it, it works in scotland for them but then they get yeah. absolutely bummed in europe and they're like oh you know it's terrible psg have got all this money well i but it's the exact same every saturday it's so unfair such a challenge that psg ah, exactly Exactly. Meanwhile, you point out they've got like a hundred times the budget of Hamilton. They've just beat five 0 Yeah, I know. It's a total, and it's not just them. I mean, it's across the board. If if anyone really wanted actual competitive sport, you would just say it's almost like what is the who's the poorest club in the top flight? What can you afford a season? Right, that is the cap, and then everyone just has to work with that. Or we go into like an American style draft, like at the end of the year, yeah. like Kyogo, right? Who finished bottom? Motherwell. Okay, that's where you go. Yeah. But, well, you know, the point is there'd be some redistribution of wealth, whether that's actual cash or quality players, whatever it may be, there'd be some sharing of resources with the view to making a competitive league, but nobody wants that. Graham, how many rounds into a draft would it, would you need to be before you drafted Mike Kennedy? I would just fold the club. <laughs> I'd, no give away that, I'd, I'd, I'd give away that trade for a future one, I think, Gav. <laughs> Anyway, right. Um, what do you expect us to do in terms of shape and setup, given our suspensions, etc.? Um, I'm imagining that we're going to see something quite similar to the ultra defensive setup we saw uh, against them at home. I think that's pretty inevitable. I do. I think we do though we need to avoid, and I, I actually don't have a massive issue with that potentially here for this game here because I think we do need to avoid a bit of a confidence draining drubbing because I feel that there was a little bit of confidence eking back into the team on Saturday it was Motherwell notwithstanding yeah I think I don't really like to say this damage limitation is probably the mode we're in at the moment so yeah I can't imagine we'll be particularly adventurous all things you know just with the the interim management team where we find ourselves in the table and as a club etc I think it will just be trying to get through it without too much of a pasting yeah, do enough where we can put the game in the rearview mirror pretty sharp after full time and then look forward to Livingston at home the next week, which um, 
you know, it's not a great sentiment to be expressing, but I think is a is a bigger game at the end of the day and more uh, important or more key to where we'll actually finish um, at the end of the season. Because, like I say, um, basically no one's beaten Celtic in two years, and I can't see a an Aberdeen team with um, you know key personnel missing uh, being the one that will buck that trend. Would love to be proved wrong though. Come on then, predictions. Uh, three two, John Stewart score the winner. <laughs> Graham? Uh, 2-0. 2? Well, I said 2-0, so home team. Okay. 1-2. David Strelich with the winner. Mm. <laughs> Outpacing a man who's too good to be <laughs> unemployed. It's Paul Lambert. Two of you have time machines you've been keeping quiet. What version of this fixture I choose to watch is my own business. That's fair. There we go. Um, let's move on from that one. We'll wait and see what happens at the weekend. And I think boys that'll do us for the first half yes yes join us after the break for our chat with Juan Manuel Cobian this episode of the ABC Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street Aberdeen Siberia is back and better than ever in 2023 with a revamped food menu and even better they're offering free area hires between January and March head on down and get rid of those January blues by enjoying a night out with your friends on Belmont Street booking area or even a table for Siberia's 2023 Burns Supper via their website at siberia-aberdeen.co.uk Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we move on to our interview with Juan Kobe, and just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund. We see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help us keep fueled in beers or coffees or whiskies, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. The link is in the description. Shout us a beer or a coffee. It is absolutely much appreciated. Uh, we're going to come back next week with an update on our Aberdeen to Gothenburg charity fundraiser. I promise I will update the spreadsheet for next week. Is the update that you're fucked? No, I'm doing okay. Doing all right. Doing okay. okay. Ticking along. Ticking along. I'm like an interim manager at Aberdeen Football Club. I'm just ticking along. Okay. Um. Anyway, now, time for the return of our series of interviews. It feels like it's been a while since we've done one of these. Oh, I thought you were going to say time for the return of Jess Music Corner there. We'll next do Jess Music Corner next, next week. week. I've got one. Graham couldn't find the Don's link for this one. Did you get it? I haven't got one yet, but I'll, I'll but, find one. But I'll we're sticking one. with it and we'll find it. We'll make it yeah. shoehorn in. Okay. We'll find one. That would please me. The nice thing is, after the last selection, the parameters have changed so much, we can just talk about any song. Yeah, that's the thing. We're just making up. That last was neither a hit nor a banger, so... What was the last one? GG72. Oh yeah, that's not true, Gavin. <laughs> that is true, Gavin. No, I listened to the album... Probably for a couple of days. <laughs> I realize there's a lot more stuff on it that I liked. There we go. Jake, they're just like looking at that, like when they get their Spotify analytics and just like, what's going on? I would think so. See, we're doing our bit. We're doing our bit for creative types. Anyway, now yep. it's time for the return of our series of interviews with Don's personality as a past and present. Like I say, it's been a while since this one's come out, but never mind. We're back again. This time, a man who signed for Aberdeen. In November 1999, becoming the first Argentinian to play for the Dons, who only made four appearances in total, it's fair to say. But you know us. If it's more niche, 
the better it is. It is the one and only Juan Manuel Cobian. Juan Cobian, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure. Uh, well, pleased to meet you again and and all the Aberdeen fans uh, that are here now. Yeah, and I'm sure that everyone's looking forward to to hear what you've got to say. So let's just get started. Well, we let let's start at the very beginning. So, uh, born 11th of September 1975 in Buenos Aires in Argentina. So, what was your um, what was your childhood like, and what was your upbringing like in the Argentine capital? Well, uh, uh, I was born, like you said, in in Buenos Aires, um, in the capital, uh, like like would say. Uh, Edinburgh or you know or Glasgow mm-hmm. uh, a big city uh but my family uh, my family were from the outskirts of, of Buenos Aires um a place called Caseros um there's a there's a there's a local team uh, there in Caseros called Estudiantes yeah um and uh, where, where I started when I was uh, five so um uh, but it was good N- nice uh um li- living near the family uh, my my grandparents uh my my nephews and cousins and and you know all the all the family nearby excellent so obviously growing up in argentina um in the 70s and 80s it would have been hard not to be a football fan i would imagine um can you remember when you first started playing of course yeah like, like i mentioned before uh, um uh, i started playing for estudiantes when i when i, when I was 5 uh, in fact, I got I got a I got a a, a picture uh, of those of those moments. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'll be able to um, to show it to show it to you. But uh, my face was very angry because we were second in the tournament. So <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't very happy. Um, uh, and then, like like uh, every every other child from 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 here from Buenos Aires, uh, going to the uh, what we call what we call here the the baby football, uh, which is a five aside uh, with a with a, a, a small ball that that doesn't bounce a lot. Uh, it's like like futsal. May, okay. may, it's becoming a bit a bit popular now in the UK. Yeah, 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 yeah um, absolutely. Uh, so uh, yeah, they are going from from one team to another, uh, and then at the age of uh, about um, ten to eleven. Uh, I recall that Boca Juniors um, in the in the in the what we call here the infants, mm-hmm. um, and then all, all all the way through in the in the youth career until I signed for the first team. Yeah. Um, like, we'll come uh, on to that in a minute, um, if yeah. that's okay. But I was just going to ask first before we get to that. So, were Estudiantes were they were they the team you supported as a as a as a child? Yeah, like like like, uh, like I said, uh, uh, it, it was the local team. Mm-hmm. So uh, every every team from from the neighborhood uh, would recall in Estudiantes, and also Almagro is another is another team. In fact, uh, uh, I've retired in Almagro. So uh, yeah. the two uh, the two opposites. So this probably sounds like a really obvious question, but I'm going to have to ask it. Growing up in Argentina in the seventies, the eighties, who would have been your favorite player? Well, uh, uh, my my hero, uh, my superhero, it wasn't Superman or Batman. It was it was Diego. Yeah, uh, it's not going to be anyone else, is it? Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, obviously, when when you when you are in football and, and when you like football, um, you got different different 
uh, idols and and uh, and you like uh, different players, you know, through the age, um, uh, through through the years, whilst you play and 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 you watch football, you know, almost every day. Uh, but uh, for us, I mean, for 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 our age, uh, at that time, Diego was was the superhero, you know. Absolutely. Um, I, I've never had the privilege, I don't think, of actually ever speaking to an Argentinian who's who's seen both of them play. So I'm going to ask you this question now, and it's a really difficult one. Um, who's better, Maradona or Messi? Well, there's only one. There's only one answer for me. Is <laughs> is Maradona, of course. Maradona. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah, and yeah. I, I actually decided because I'm just going to call. I've got my Boca Juniors hat on. Um, I I can see that. <laughs> um, and it's got a number 10 for Maradona on the back as well. So nice. I, thought, I thought I'd pop nice. it on, especially for this evening. It is also a little bit cold here as well, so um, which I'm sure <laughs> comes as no surprise to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> you touched on it there. Obviously, you, you ended up making the move to Boca Juniors coming through their youth setup. As a, as a young player kind of growing up, were you always a kind of right back or a defensive player? Was that kind of always where you've played? Um, until, until I was uh, about 15, um, I was a right back and left back uh, sometimes, but then um, I got a, I got a coach at that age, uh, which was uh, what we call here the sixth division, yeah. Okay. Because it goes in divisions from uh, fourth, which are the under twenties, till uh, ninth division, which are the uh, under thirteens. Uh, so in the sixth division, I had a I had a a, a, a well known coach here. Um, uh, who put me as a as a central midfielder, and sometimes played, uh, um, and then then when I go to the first team, uh, again went back to the um, I, I would say a wing wing back position. Okay. Um, yeah. So you touched on earlier. You, you make your way through the youth team at Boca. Uh, you eventually sign a, a contract with the first team. You make one appearance um, in the first team for Boca Juniors. You come off the bench in a friendly match against Sao Paulo. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's it's a friendly, but. For you, though, must be a special moment to get to play for the first team for for a team like Boca Juniors. You know how how historic they are. Well, it was a, a dream a dream come through not only for me but for all my family, my dad especially, my my brothers and sisters, uh, my mom. Uh, everybody everybody supported Boca. Uh, in fact, my dad was um, uh, was director in the early eighties. Um, he he was one of the uh, uh, of the responsible um, guys to to bring over uh, Maradona from Argentinos Juniors, so you can imagine how special how, how special it was for that. You know, absolutely. Um, after that, there's a season long spell for you um, with I'm going to get this horribly wrong. I apologize. Uh, Huracan de Corrientes, mm. which not bad. It's okay. Good spell. <laughs> there we go. Um, so that follows the season after. So they play in the second division um, in, in Argentine football. Corrientes, they're a club base. They're about a thousand kilometers away, I think, from, from Buenos Aires. So it's quite a big distance. And I'm presuming this is the first time you've ever had to kind of be away from home. How did you find that kind of being away that far away from home for the first time? Yeah, it was a uh, fact I had, I had a. Uh just uh, uh, moved to live to live alone so it wasn't it wasn't bad mm-hmm. um and and the opportunity came arise because uh, of huracan um um had been a, a recognized coach at boca uh jose maria silvero uh, so he took on loan 
two players from Boca. One of one of one was myself, and the other one was uh, Walter Del Rio, who later played for Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, we were we were up there uh, on loan for for one season, which uh, gave us uh, a lot of games, you know, uh, on our back, and uh, it was it was good for us. Um, good experience, a bit a bit warm or a bit hot, because uh, summertime uh, over forty degrees to play. So uh, uh, really, really uh, a, a good experience. In fact, I have a I have a memory um, during February uh, we had to play a, a team from Mar del Plata uh, called Aldo Civi. Uh, Aldo Civi, Mar del Plata are south of Aires, and even even in summertime. Uh, get temperatures of uh, say 10 degrees 12 15 yeah okay uh, speci- especially at night and that that uh, that sunday afternoon 3 p.m. in corrientes the the city of huracan um it was i don't know 45 degrees uh <laughs> sensation it, it was i mean unbelievable unbelievable we we couldn't even uh, match it when when they uh, the first half finished um uh the, the, I mean the the how do you call it the first half uh, time half time half time yeah it, last, yeah. it, it lasted thirty five minutes <laughs> the rest the the the, the players of um, the players of, of TV didn't want to uh, come out again um, so it was it was funny I can imagine. And, and now at the end of that season um, that's when you decide to make the move to Sheffield Wednesday so. Going from forty-five degree heat to deepest, darkest Yorkshire. Um, how obviously Sheffield Wednesday at that time are English Premier League. Um, how did that move come around for you? And did you need, I guess, much persuasion to make that move to to England at that point? Uh, like, uh, Gary, like uh, every other thing that happens in football, is is all surprise. Um, they have an agent at the time because players. It, it wasn't very common that players had a, that all players had agents. I, I didn't have an agent. Um, so uh, a, a guy was, uh, had been contacted my, my, by my dad from before. Okay. And uh, so I had a, 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 a video uh, recorded of my moments. And uh, it, it looks like uh, uh, Danny Wilson had a look at it. He liked it. Um, uh, he had the need of a, of a right back because uh, Peter Atherton had just uh, got injured. Uh, he was the captain, uh, and obviously I wasn't. I wasn't uh, an expensive player uh, for the for the UK market, um, and he 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 decided to take me. Happily, uh, I didn't have to go through a through a trial. Uh, well, probably because of my past at Boca, and mm. and and I had uh, I had forty games almost for Aberdeen. Uh, for for Huracan the the, yeah. the previous season, um, so I, I I went to Sheffield, traveled there uh, with my dad. The following week, for my debut against um, uh, against West Ham, uh, my uh, my wife now and my girlfriend at the time traveled. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how my moments at at, um, at Wednesday started. Yeah, and 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 I had a I had a a, a, a good year in terms of experience. You know, I was only young, twenty-two. So uh, yeah, and, and like I say, did, did when the opportunity came up to move to to England, 
did did you have to think much about doing that or was it just a case of at the age you were at this is a great opportunity to go and learn and play in a different different culture different type of football yeah uh, probably I don't know how how old were you there <laughs> but, uh, uh, I would have been I was like 15 16 at that sort of age well, so yeah yeah uh, you have a few years on the on, the, on, on your back as well but uh, uh, obviously I didn't have much to think um I had I had uh, came back with from from my loan to Huracan and uh, to Boca and um there was no no place for me at Boca uh, at that time so um I I decided to go right away um the Premier League wasn't uh, at the time wasn't very very known or very uh, watched here on TV. Uh, the, there was only one game per week, and some only only some weekends. Yeah, they showed the, the games. It uh, was just about to become massive. The Premier League in England wasn't. Yeah, it, it was just, just about. Just, just about. Yeah, I think that uh, from that time, uh, you know, if you think before, always Italian football, Spanish football, yeah, were were the most. Uh, uh, renowned here in 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 South America, but from from that year probably onwards, uh, the Premier League became uh, bigger and bigger. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you kind of touched on it. You you make your debut for Sheffield Wednesday on the opening day of the 1998-99 season. Uh, that's a game against West Ham United. In doing so, um, you become the first Argentinian uh, to play in the English Premier League alongside uh, Horacio. Carbonari, who also makes his debut the same afternoon for Derby County, as I recall. Yeah. Um, how did you find English football just generally? Was it a big adjustment for you um, in terms of football style and everything? It was, Gary, because uh, I, fa- I found it uh, uh, British football more direct. Yeah. Uh, whilst here, um, uh, it was always playing the ball to the feet. Uh, um, uh, and 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 when I came over, especially the first game, because I only had a, I only had a a, game, a reserve game that that I only played half half time on Wednesday against Wolves mm-hmm. before before that um, that game against West Ham. Um, uh, so I had only three or four trainings to get to get you know to know my my uh, my teammates and um, and and. I mean, I got to know that I had to put the ball into the channel. That when I got to almost uh, three quarters of the pitch, I had to cross the ball, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I always, I always, I always remember uh, when Danny was saying, "You get, you get here near the box. You just, you just bend it." And and uh, it's Sandy Booth, Booth's problem to get there, <laughs> you know. So um, I, yeah. I bet you if didn't I, have we, too many Andy Booths in Argentina, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Not many. Well, <laughs> I tell you, I tell you something. Martin Palermo, who maybe you've heard of, yeah, 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 yeah. he was a number nine for Argentina and was well, especially Boca Juniors. Uh, he he was he was very similar to Andy. Yeah, the, the, the way the way he played. There we go. That's that's what we were here for. Is that comparison between Martin Palermo and uh, Andy Booth? There we go. Yeah. Um, obviously, when you joined up at Sheffield Wednesday, like the likes of Paolo Di Canio, uh, Benito Carboni. They would have been there. Um, indeed, you're on the pitch for that infamous game where Decani was sent off after pushing over the referee. What do you remember about that game? Um, 
what happened? Like, what was it like being on the pitch when that's happening? And what was it like in the dressing room afterwards? I, yeah. Annie Wilson must have been just like, what am I doing here? Yeah, he was furious. Yeah, <laughs> really, really. And um, obviously at the beginning, I, I didn't realize what, what what was happening because there was like a, you know, uh, uh, Paolo was um, had a, had a bit of a of a row with uh, with uh, Anelka before. Sorry, yeah. no, no, with uh, Patrick Vieira. Yes, Vieira. Yeah, yeah. With Patrick Vieira, they they uh, they went into a clash, so the the, the things were uh, hot from that time. And and when that happened, uh, Paulo um, stood up with uh, Vieira because of um, uh, something. I think. If I'm not wrong, that Petit did to um, uh, Peter Rudi, uh, our our Norwegian player. Yeah, so uh, Vieira came and Paulo came and they all were, you know, like like discussing. Uh, and, and suddenly um, the referee um, gets a, gets a yellow card to Paulo, and he he pushes him. Uh, so so yeah, sent off right away. Must be up there with one of the kind of more mad things you've you've seen on a football pitch, I imagine. Uh, probably, probably because, uh, and, and and to be honest, there, there uh, when we were there, it didn't look like Paulo pushing really hard. Yeah, you know, he, he takes a dive, more, doesn't he? Let's be honest. More, more, yeah, I don't know if he takes a dive, but more like, like he 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 wasn't uh, uh, well. Uh, he wasn't standing up, you know, uh, firmly. So uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, uh, Sort of like uh, looked on the pitch, but then when you look it on TV, uh, you see that the, the the push is 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 a little bit hard, you know. Yeah. Uh, and well, the the um, that was only two or three minutes before the end of the first half. Not much. Uh, we we went back to the dressing room after half time, and uh, Danny Danny came into the dressing room looking for Paulo, so angry, and you know where is where are you where are you and he wasn't there any longer. He had gone home. Already gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not even a shower. Gone home. Was that the last that Tacanio played for Sheffield Wednesday? Because he moved to West Ham that season. Did he ever play for Wednesday again after that? I can't remember. Uh, no. No, he didn't play. He yeah. didn't play again. He went to he went to Italy uh, because he was suspended for like uh, two months. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, he, he came back training after that. Uh, but I think uh, he was still banned, and he didn't train with the team a lot. Uh, he was he had his physical trainer mm-hmm. uh, around, and um, yeah, and then he and then he moved away to to Bradford. You must have been like, "What is going on here? What what have I joined?" <laughs> um, and for you, you'd started off as a real regular starter um, at Sheffield Wednesday. You played most of the the, the games after you first arrived, and then. You kind of drop out the team in the October, come back in around the February, and and then you're back out again until May. I'm presuming this was just injuries that were um, keeping you out of the team. Oh no, 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 I wasn't injured at all. The nope. thing is that uh, uh, I was I was covering uh, Peter Atherton's place, okay. uh, and when he he got recovered from his uh, he had he had an an ankle injury, if I'm not wrong. Um, when he when he recovered, he was the captain and, and probably one of the most recognized mm. uh, English players uh, at uh, at Wednesday at the time. The the other big one was Des Walker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, then he then he he played as a right back and uh, and in fact uh, all all my um, 
all, all the times that I that I uh, came on as a sub, uh, many many of them, not all, many of them, I I, I did it as a as a central midfielder. So at the end of that season, um, you leave Wednesday, you move to Charlton Athletic um, briefly. They'd just been relegated from the Premier League, um, but it's a bit of a short-lived move um, at the Addicts. You end up um, negotiating an exit away from Charlton quite quickly after moving there, um, after you didn't really get any game time. And this is where Aberdeen step in. So Aberdeen at this point under our new manager, Eb Schofdal, we've had a horrendous start to the season. Um, we've only won one game in our opening 12 league games. And then it's announced on the 6th of November, 1999. So we're not that far away just now from it being, what's that now? That would be 23 years. Crikey, mm. that, that's that's worrying. Um, it's announced then that you'd signed a contract until the end of the season with, with Aberdeen. So how did your move to Aberdeen, how did that come about? And what did you know about the club, um, Scottish football, I guess, in general? And um, did Eb need to persuade you much to, to make the move to Scotland? Uh. Well, I went to. Uh, I, I always remember that I went to Aberdeen. I went. To, I went on trial because Ebe wanted to to see me, so I went to play a, a reserve league game, uh, which which I don't remember who it was against, uh, but um, I, I I did quite well. So uh, Ebe uh, decided to sign me. Be- before that, my time I charged on it was because. Um, uh, they, they, I had only two months contract with Charlton, mm-hmm. um, and they, they were they were about to sign uh, a, a Scottish international right back, um, which they they finally did. So when when they did, uh, obviously they didn't need me any longer, <laughs> um, and and that that that's when that's when Aberdeen uh, Aberdeen's possibility uh, came through, and and obviously I, I decided to go. Uh, and after that, that uh, game trial, uh, Eves said, "Okay, uh, we would like to offer you a contract." Um, I came back to London for my for my things and and returned back to to sign the contract with Aberdeen, uh, and and I, and I was very happy because uh, it, it was a different challenge. Um, uh, obviously, being being in the in the Premier League, um, it was it was a big thing for me and. Uh, a new experience at the uh, at the Scottish Premier League uh, was, was was a big challenge for me. It was Celtic. You played in the trial match, just so you know. It was Celtic. Oh, Celtic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. So, uh, and when Eb was was talking to you then, um, what were your impressions of Eb as a as a manager, and how did he come across at the time? Because at this point, we are really struggling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember that. Uh, Ebe was a was a special character. He was very um, he was in a good mood all the time. Uh, you know, talking to us. Um, I, I really appreciated uh, um, the, the way he treated me uh, most of the time. You know, he was uh, encouraging me. Uh, you know, all the time, t- telling me uh, you you need to get the ball. Uh, you know. Um, no, no, uh, I got I got good memories uh, of him. And in terms of the club itself, in terms of Aberdeen, I mean, when you, I'm interested to know just you as a as an individual, as a character. Do you like when when you've come on trial? Um, do you kind of do some research into the club, like to understand about the club's history and and all that kind of stuff? Well, obviously, uh, at the time, uh, 
the internet wasn't uh, wasn't yeah, very. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's not like like now that you have the you know everything everything in your hands. Uh, but obviously, yeah, I asked him. The, the agent that took me there uh, told me everything about Aberdeen, and uh, when I got to the city, you know, I liked it. My 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 wife liked it. In fact, we 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 always remember uh, special moments because we prepared uh, our wedding in Aberdeen. Okay, uh, we, we we had it in Buenos Aires, but all the preparation. Uh, we, we we did it in Aberdeen, you know. Uh, bought the rings up there. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> uh, the, the, my, my wife's um, uh, a wedding dress. We 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 bought it up there. So uh, yeah, and um, brilliant. It's got a really special place then, still in your in your life, I guess, considering it's, it's quite a short stay in Aberdeen. Um, yes, because I was gonna say because uh, I had a I had a, a bad hamstring injury. Um, in, in, during the game against Rangers, that we beat them for the for the League Cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that made, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, it, it ended up being a, a short spell. Uh, I came back to play in the reserves after three months, um, uh, and, and 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 well, after that, my my contract was finished, and mm -hmm. and Ebe, Ebe said that didn't didn't have the they, they wanted to change things and. Ever, ever mentioned that didn't have the budget to to keep me. Well, we'll come on to we'll come on to how everything kind of like uh, how how everything finished up at Aberdeen for you. But um, one thing I don't know if you're aware of this: when you signed for Aberdeen, the local press, the local media kept on talking how about statistically um, you'd been a better crosser of the ball than David Beckham the season before. Um, do you remember this? Were you aware of this at the time? I I, I, I remember the the uh, uh, the press article. Yeah, I remember that. Um, <laughs> you see, it's quite it's quite ni nice and and emotional too that that uh, that you're reminded of. As a new player coming into a new club, does that just put loads of pressure on you all of a sudden? Like, no, no, no. 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 All right with that. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, no. Because when I mean when uh, Gary, when when you when you play football and and when you do it as a living and and. And also when when you feel it, it you know deep inside you, um, that that those are, are are nice compliments, you know, um, and and give you give you strength uh, to to go on. Uh, I don't think I don't think there's there's any player that feels pressure, you know, to uh, just just for the the sake of receiving a compliment. Yeah, uh, absolutely, like that, you know. So. So, and after you sign your proper contract, you're pretty much straight into the thick of things. Um, you're on the bench as we travel to Dundee United. You come off the bench with about 18 minutes to go. We are already 2-0 down at this point. Um, can you remember, though, much about that game and your first taste of Scottish football at all? Yeah, yeah, I remember that game because it, it was a difficult game. Uh, it was an afternoon game. Yeah. Um, I, I came in as a right midfielder. Uh, not not as the not as the right back that as I played later, uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a nice nice impression of a of a Scottish football. United make it three 0 uh, with a couple of minutes to go, but then you've got a hand actually in the consolation goal that we score because it's your cross that leads yeah, to a penalty kick being awarded that Thomas Solberg scores. Just out of, out of interest as well because we, we touched on it earlier, like Aberdeen are really really struggling. Um, when you join, like we're we're really really having a bad season. As a player coming in at that point, is that 
hard to to come into a team that's really struggling is low in confidence or is it one of these things that you kind of come in and go look i can maybe try and help to you know get things going what's it like oh it's 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 a challenge it, it it's a challenge when 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 you come into a team that is not doing great uh because you you uh, or or at least in my case i, I always felt that I, that i could change things then it, it might happen the opposite but uh <laughs> If if you feel that you you start with the right foot, uh, because you the, the confidence in 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 a in a football player or in a in a sportsman is all you know. Yeah, you've got to be positive, haven't you? You can't kind of come of in and, and try to be negative about it. There's a there's a couple of weeks off, um, which would allow you, I guess, some time to 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 train with the, the the team a bit more and get used to some of them. Were there any players in the squad when you joined that kind of really stood out to you as being? You know, really talented. You know that that you thought they've got a really good opportunity to to really progress in the game. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I was surprised uh, by Ion I- I- Jess. Ah, Jess. Yeah, great He's my player. favorite. He's my favorite of all time. Yeah, yeah. is it? Oh, yeah. Uh, because when I grew up, Jess is my Maradona. You know, yeah. like when when because he's a local boy. He's local from yeah. Aberdeen, from the northeast, um, and. When you were there, this would have been Ian's second spell with the club. He'd he'd left to to, to be in the Premier League with with Coventry for a little bit, yeah. um. But his first time at Aberdeen, he was unbelievable. What a talent! Yeah, great, great, uh, great player, great person. Um, I I enjoyed the time with him at the club. I didn't have much time with all the locals to share outside the pitch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because obviously everybody had their their families and. And you know it takes some time uh, for the for the foreigners to um, to maybe to maybe um, get to share this 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 time. But uh, what, what um, uh, I mean, what we share what we shared at the dressing room, what we shared every training, uh, it, it was very nice, very nice. Excellent. Um, like I say, there's a couple of weeks off, and then you make your first start for Aberdeen. It's a one-one draw at St Johnston, which is also Adol yeah. Stavrum's debut, as I remember. Um, yeah. You played really well in this game. I, I really remember that. I remember this game very fondly because Adol probably yeah. scored a couple of goals. Actually, um, yeah. you must have been delighted with a your performance that day and and getting some actual proper, you know, ninety minutes under your yeah. belt, get some football. Yeah, yeah. It was a like like I said before, Gary. It was a real pleasure. Uh, to to be at Aberdeen uh, and and make, make my debut and uh, um, I mean feel feel uh, I always remember that 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 people uh, the fans were really really they were great uh, to me uh, and probably I I didn't uh, not that I didn't deserve it but I I I hadn't done much <laughs> you know to 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 get that and. Uh, I I I've always uh, really appreciate that. The week after you start again, uh, this week it's this time it's a two 0 defeat at Hibs. Um, you're replaced with 30 minutes to go by uh, our new signing at the time, so Rashid Belabed. Um, Hisham Ziroali would follow him in the door not long after that. Um, what can you remember about the Moroccan duo? Um, in particular. Uh. Again, good character, <laughs> although he he couldn't speak English, but we communicated. Um, sort of like uh, um, Andreas Meyer, uh, Kato Gumbeit, uh myself. Um, uh, we we were very uh, 
most of the time together, or also also Ariel. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, um, um, what was his name? The Bulgarian. Oh, Ilian Kiriakov. Oh, Ilian. I forgot Ilian would have been there when you were there. Ilian. Oh, what, what a what a person, <laughs> and what 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 a character. You you can't believe it. You can't believe it. Oh, have you got a story about Ilian for us? One. Oh, many. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, although although uh, although um, uh, Rashid did, didn't uh, didn't communicate a lot, uh, we managed, you know. <laughs> uh, so um, a good, lively player probably uh, could have done could have done a bit more, uh, especially at the beginning. Uh, but you could see you could see his talents. Mm-hmm. You could really see his talents. He enjoyed an overhead kick, didn't he? He liked doing an yeah. overhead kick. Loved them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's actually funny. Actually, I completely forgotten until you just talked about it now just how international a dressing room that was at the time. Because, um, like you say, there was there was obviously yourself. There was like the likes of Andreas Mayer, um, Ilian Kiriakov still hanging about. Yeah. Uh, you had all the Scandinavian boys, uh, Kato, Aro, yeah. uh, Thomas Solberg would have been there as well. Thomas Solberg, yeah. Thomas was like uh, our captain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Abs- yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. It must have been quite an interesting dressing room to be in from that perspective because there's just so many different languages and cultures and everything all trying to come together and the 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 the, the cold of the Granite City in the northeast of Scotland <laughs> in November yeah. and December. Um a couple of days after that game at Easter Road, that brings us to the League Cup quarterfinal tie. It's Aberdeen against Rangers at Pataudry. This is actually your only appearance at Pataudry for the first team. Um, no one gives us a hope of coming through this tie in the run-up to it. Um, but what are your what are your recollections about the build-up to the game and the atmosphere in the stadium that night? I mean, are, are new players made aware, I guess, of how big games against Rangers are for the Aberdeen supporters? Yeah, my 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 memories. Uh, I start for the wood ones, um, where the 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 week uh, the week's preparation uh, for that game, you you felt it. You felt the atmosphere within the squad. Um, uh, then then the fans uh, at the stadium, the away fans, Rangers on the on the side. Um, uh, I mean that that was that was unbelievable and then and then the way we played the game uh, i think that the the way we played it was uh y- you could see uh that we we were gonna we were gonna get something out of mm. the game it uh, felt that way team. didn't it all night i thought yeah it, it yeah. felt like we were gonna get a result that night um yeah and and then like i said obviously uh i mean about a bad a bad memory was was my injury um that I had to come out. I couldn't. I couldn't even walk. Uh, I had a, a, a four centimeters torn hamstring. <laughs> Believable. Um, uh, but uh, but the, the good feeling that that we won the game, and then then with the months, uh, I, I watched the game again, uh, and 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 I got to see that I, that I, uh, I mean the, the minutes that I played in the uh, in that game, uh, I, I played quite well. So it was it was a bit. Uh, uh, not 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 as frustrating, you know, with, yeah, the, yeah. with the, like it was with the injury. So mm-hmm. uh, plus plus we we won. So were you able to be watching when Andy Dow scores the winner, or were you in the 
dressing room at that point. Can no, I was like, I, I, uh, Gary, I couldn't, I couldn't even move because yeah. uh, I had to. Uh, my wife had to. My wife has had to drive me back uh, home because I, 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 I couldn't walk. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the injury, it, it, it pretty much leaves you out of action for the rest of the season. Um, I know that you, you kind of came back again, uh, played some reserve game football, um, but I think I'd read somewhere that Ebb had initially said to you, I think, that if you could get fit, he would look to extend your deal. But then, as you kind of touched on earlier on, I think as the season got towards the end, perhaps the budget wasn't there. Um, we had quite a big first-team squad at that period of time as well, as I remember, because you you were squad number 44, I think, as I yeah. remember. Um, yeah. Arnold was 46. Um yeah. I think Hisham got 48 or 49. I can't remember. So there was, there was a lot of people in yeah, that yeah, squad. Um, yeah. In fact, let me, let me show you something. <laughs> so for those of you who are wondering what's going on, Wans has nipped off to get me something. Oh, look at this. It's his. There we go. Because I got the Zoom set There up. we go. I got it. Kobe on 44. There we go. Yeah. Uh, an original. There we go. Excellent. Yeah. How did Deb kind of break it to you that that they weren't going to be able to 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 give you a new deal and 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 was that it must be incredibly disappointing because you'd come in and you'd done you know you'd done well in the short period of time you were here. Of course, it was disappointing because I, I thought I was going to get better sooner of the injury, which I didn't. I I played back my uh, I played my my game for the reserves. I think it was against Livingstone away, and I was still feeling my my leg. You know, it wasn't it wasn't quite. Uh, it wasn't hundred percent recovered. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I thought I thought I, you know, I, I would do it uh, before the end of the season. I didn't, unfortunately, for the first team. Uh, but but thought thought um, thought I deserved because I had worked hard to to um, to get recovered. It was a, it was a big uh, um, torn hamstring. So, uh, but anyway, I, I I know that football. Uh, gives you gives you other opportunities and and um, yeah, it's, it's football, and, uh, isn't it? That's that's ultimately yeah, what it is, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and now 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 that I'm a that I'm a coach of a of a local team, I know that you have to choose. Yeah, <laughs> you know uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you if you had been offered the chance to stay at Aberdeen, um, would you have taken it? Do you think, or would you have, would yeah. you have gone back to England again? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, as it is, we kind of touched that you end up going to Swindon Town. Um, the following summer, um, you're there for kind of three years. End up going to Spain to play for Linares, mm-hmm. um, and then move back to Argentina with uh, Club Almagro before retiring in, in 2006. Yeah. So, Juan, uh, what what did you get up to after retiring? Um, obviously, you've just touched on there the fact you coach locally, um, but but what else keeps Juan Cobian occupied these days? No, right away uh, after retiring, uh, I was I was um, already. Uh, working for my dad's um, uh, business, family business. Um, uh, and at the same time, uh, uh, I was appointed as the assistant manager of a second division team here in, in Buenos Aires called Ferrocarril Oeste uh, for a few months. And when 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 the coach um, decided to leave, uh, obviously I left uh, with him. And um, uh, at the same time, uh, uh, an opportunity to work for Boca Juniors uh came up in the international uh in the, I, I was the international football director at Boca uh, and that was for about four years um uh and well o- o- always involved in football uh, uh 
the likes of uh, some some Sheffield Wednesday, uh, uh, you know, people involved at Wednesday at Swindon and some other clubs in England. They they uh, they contacted me to recommend players, um, and and obviously all the time with my with my family business. And now, like I said, coaching coaching a, a local team, um, just I mean, just to uh, uh, to be involved in football, which which I love from yeah. my childhood. So you're not going to let that go, that's for sure. Never, um, never. Listen, man, we'll um, we'll wrap things up here. Um, we really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us from from Buenos Aires this evening. Um, I know it was just a short time you had at Aberdeen, but um, rest assured the vast majority of Aberdeen fans who were watching then still remember you. Um, it's not a name that's just disappeared. Um, still people do, do absolutely remember you. We'll finish with one last question that we do ask all of our guests, if that's all right, Juan. Um, let, let me, let me just, uh, yeah. uh, just, just, just my last thing, because, uh, I always remember that one of the days that, uh, uh we had to, to go to the club, uh, for an event, uh, we were asked to sign shirts and, and, and speak to the people, um, and and it was all, all only I had been there for only a month, uh, I believe, uh, or or a bit more. I think it was uh, just after I got injured, a, a couple of weeks after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll always remember a, a dad coming to the to the table. Uh, I, I, obviously, he came to me and uh, he said, "Hey Juan, how are you?" I started talking, um, and he he had his son. Only, only, maybe no, no more than five year old son, and he he turned he turned his back and he had the forty four with my name. <laughs> Excellent. So um, unbelievable. Nice. Listen, there's a very good chance that whoever that is is probably listening to this. So if that's you um, that took that your dad took to the sign and you had Kobe on forty four on your back, hit us up on um, Twitter. Um, we'd be delighted to hear from you, whoever it is. But listen, yeah, one, I was going to say, we'll, we'll wrap things up here. One last question, if yeah. that's all right. Um, I'm very intrigued to hear this because, like I say, you obviously had a, a short spell at Aberdeen. But if you can, um, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a hard one because, like I said before, uh, special moments. Um, I spent a lot of time with my, with my wife there uh, on, on our own. Um, but, um, I would always remember is remember, uh, the city as the, uh, although you cannot believe it, um, the lovely granite city. There we go. Top man. (laughs) Juan Kobian. Thank you so much for taking time to join us on the ABZ football podcast. It's been an absolute privilege. Take care and stand free. Thank you Barry for contacting me and, and, uh, my best regards to, to all Aberdeen fans, uh, I really hope that uh, the good times come back. Yeah. So do we. Um, so do we. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, all, all the very best. And please know that you have a friend down here. Top man. Juan Kobian. Stand free. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. And I tell you what, there we go. And you might have looked at that and thought that was a silly idea, but you're not going to tell me that that wasn't worth 30 minutes of your time. Come on. Lovely stuff. Juan Kobian. Did you ever track down the other <coughs> Argentinian that played for us? I have tracked him down. Yes, he is tracked down. Um, he doesn't speak English, so we're trying to work on that. <clears throat> I may or may not be able to help with that, but we can sort that out after. You don't speak English either, Graham. 
Yeah, I know. So that's fine. <laughs> I can speak other languages. Excellent. I'm, oh, I know. I might have a cunning plan for that, actually. Okay. Well, we will see then. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Lovely stuff. Thanks for joining us here on the ABZ Football Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, or follow, or whatever you do on your podcast. Play of choice. Join us next week for episode 91, where we'll return to review our SPFL Premiership action. <laughs> I say action at Celtic Park. We'll, well, we'll see how we go. And we'll preview our return to Pataudry and the visit of Livingston the following weekend. And fingers crossed, we'll get our good pals from the Ammon View podcast to rejoin us to slag us off about Bruce Anderson and Jet all over again. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!